Coco Talk would like to thank our patrons who sponsor our show each week. So warm gratitude goes to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Leduc, Brendan Donahue, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Christina Armstrong, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Disney Saints fan, Eric Canales, Fedor Stamen, Glenn Hewlett, Grant Leedy, Jason Bucata, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunct, Michael Pitsley, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Richard Lorbieski and Voice on Technologies, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Bjork, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., and Tim Lindner. Thank you so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS 80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. James Diffendaffer is trying to join. Frodo's saying it's not on YouTube. Of course, I'm coming out over the air right now. This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8 all right good afternoon everybody welcome to coca talk episode 167 where we celebrate the greatest day in american history we're talking about none other than the birth of tom c from jersey everybody All right, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Welcome to the greatest American holiday ever. We're talking about Tom C.'s birthday. We got to kick things off with a little bit of happy birthday song. So we're going to do what we always do. Being synchronized in a completely unsynchronized way, being completely talentless, we're going to do this whole group happy birthday sing-along here to celebrate the birth of Tom C. So on the count of three, one, two, three. Happy birthday to you. This is horrible. Happy birthday. We're ruining his birthday to you. Happy birthday to Tom C. Somebody count to four. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I was lip syncing. Well, it's the greatest simulation of a drunken sing-along I've ever heard. Oh yeah! All right. In the lag. I've heard better orchestra warm-ups. Yeah. So today is the day we celebrate the birth of Tom C from Jersey. Let's go around the room and say hi to our panel. 
He likes to stream and tell his computer blue screens. It's none other than Mark Bosley with us. Hey, Mark, how are you? Hello. Happy Tom C's birthday to you, Mark Bosley. We've oh, got birthday, our Tom. resident Apple guy with his goggles into the future. Mark Overholzer is with us. Hello, Mark. Hey there. Glad to be here and happy Tom C. birthday to you, too. That's right. It's always sunny in Arizona, which is why Rondell Vaux wearing sunglasses. Hey, Ron. That's right. And in Canada, Canada doesn't recognize American holidays like Tom C.'s birthday, but we don't hold that against them. Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, how are you today, sir? Doing really well. I'm looking forward to the Tom C. musical coming up in the oh, second it hour is, of the show. It is. It is. The Tom C. sing-along. We Lin- got a guy. Lin- I'm, Lin- I'm not sure. He had a voice condition a while ago. Brian Schubring, how's your voice this week? <laughs> okay, that, that, that went off as smooth as our sing-along did. Um, <laughs> the, um, what is the stunt double for Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman's with us. Hey, Mikey. Hey, guys. How's it, go- how's it going? Hey, Mikey. Can you Can't me- see you out of one eye. Can you do me a favor? Two. Can you tell me if I have any polyps right now? Are you seeing anything? <laughs> <laughs> it's Mikey of Bored. Oh, this does yeah, not look good. Too. <laughs> it's, it's his imitation of Lacutus. Uh-huh. From O Canada, where it's always great, white, and north. Al Curtis Boyle's with us. How's it going, eh? Hello, everyone. Happy hey. birthday, Tom. And the guy, the, the the man of the hour, Tom C. from Jersey. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. We Just don't kind of hanging around today. We don't get you on. Up. We don't get you on very often, so it's very nice to have you here where we can celebrate your birthday today. But and don't worry, we'll be ce- celebrating you nationwide with fireworks later. So. That's right. Yeah, thank you. Alan Murphy's with us. Hello, Alan. Howdy, howdy. Happy birthday, Tom C. And now this guy here, if you need something over-engineered, over-designed, and over-blueprinted, uh, Rick Eulen's got you covered. How you doing, Rick? Oh, pretty good. Despite it being Tom C.'s birthday, I figured I could spend a little time. That's great. That's great. And does everybody have their Tom C. cake ready and the Tom C. fireworks ready to fire off later on tonight? We got that guy who made the game of the week this week, the creator of Gana Buena, Steve Bjork is with us. Hello, Steve. We didn't hear you, but <laughs> he's not a few kind of coughing here. So, uh, hey, everybody, thank you for a great game. Thank you for many great games. So we had an incredibly great game to play this week. We had the guy who's creator of Rally SG, the most celebrated game of last week's show is with us from down under. It's Nicholas Marientes. Hey, Nick, how are you? Good day, everyone. All right. And we have from Boyson Technologies, creator of Dark Overlord, Darth Vader-looking circuit boards. Richard Lorbieski is with us. Uh, I, I'm trying to decide what's what's worse, being on Coco Talk or trying to wish Tom C. a happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my people skills. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Happy birthday, Tom. And last, but certainly not least, optimizer of the MC10 ROM and all-around decent human being, James Diffendaffer is with us. Hello, James. I don't know. That last uh, one might be debatable, you know. All right. Well, we got Happy birthday, Tom. We have a lot to cover today. And um, we have Steve Bjork with us. Steve's uh, availability, uh, based on his schedule, he may have to bounce out of here quickly. So we're going to get to game on results right away. 
so we can have uh, get some of Steve's feedback on on his game and our input to him and how we enjoyed his game. But real quick, I want to show you guys something. I'm talking Jersey now, you guys, um, because we haven't done a good enough job promoting this. But in our Coco Discord server, I created a group called the Coco Art Gallery. And there's a reason why we created this group. And this was actually um, Alan Murphy's suggestion because he said back in the day in the Rainbow Magazine, people would submit artwork they created on their Coco to the Rainbow Magazine and those would get featured in the Rainbow Magazine. So we're thinking, and I kicked it off by just showing you some random generated artwork based on one of my old demos just to throw some stuff in here. Here we got something from Mr. Dave 6809. That's really cool looking. And then um, uh, Davey Mitchell showed us some cover art from one of the games he was working on. Um, this is from David O'Connor from his Pulse Eternal. He's working on a Coco music album, so he's doing some Coco related artwork there. But the one that closely resembles, uh, Alan Murphy posted this picture here, which looks pretty cool. We got uh, Tuchilla. I can't say this guy's name, but it, it looks pretty cool. What is his name here, Alan? Uh, well, that's not Cthulhu. Cthulhu, there we go. <clears throat> but it could be. It could be. Yeah. All right, well, we'll call him Cthulhu for now. And then um, this was really cool here, too. So this was a demo that Davey Mitchell was talking about. I think you guys talked about this on the show last week where it models yep. terrain, right? Um, and this one here is kind of showing it where it, where it blocks out the lines of, of the, the terrain. But we, what we got that really resembled actual art comes to us courtesy of our actual artist on the show. But Ron Delvo did this lovely paint. What was this program here, Ron? Is this Coco Max? <clears throat> one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> I, I forget. Okay. So Ron Delvo did a really cool painting on an actual cocoa. And this is what we're looking for is show us a picture of you generating artwork on your cocoa, either in a, in a drawing program or writing a program or whatever it is. So, so we're just throwing that out there as a teaser that um, we would like people to start throwing some pictures, some cocoa related artwork in our Discord channel called the Cocoa Art Gallery. And then we'll feature that um, every week. And who knows, it might even become everyone's favorite segment, the uh, Coco Art Gallery. But that's to be determined. So far, it went over like a lead balloon. Um, but there we have it. So why don't we do this? We've got a lot to cover this week. And we've got several um, panel discussions. We've got a lot of things were brought up in Facebook this week that are worth talking about. So we'll have some panel discussions. But we're going to jump into everyone's favorite part of the program, the Game on Results. Starting with a very mediocre and underproduced um, Coco Thoughts by none other than Samuel Gimes. And so enjoy this, folks, and then get ready for Game On Results. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. I don't think I can come up with any Game On related thought this week. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Come on, relax. Um, um, relax and count, relax and count, go ahead and count, count. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro. Gotta wanna. <laughs> Come inside, watch it, watch it now. Big pit helmet and 
a bearded jaw. Gonna wanna. Gonna wanna. Gonna wanna. Gonna wanna. Gonna wanna. Mooka Toluga. Let's don't take no chance. Grab all the big arrows. Shoot them in the pants. Wanna wanna. Gonna wanna. Gonna wanna. Gonna wanna. Gonna wanna. Steve Bjork is here. This was Steve's game. Were you in, were you insulted or offended in any way? <laughs> the only thought I had is when we're developing this game, I never thought it would come to this. <laughs> you, you know, this is the number one trending song in the elevator uh, to hell. <laughs> Samuel Guinness has become quite the musical producer, but uh, I, mean, yeah, I mean, he topped. I, mean, I thought Nightwear Highway was. was <laughs> uh, but like one comment show out with a copyright strike. Yeah, but one comment <laughs> I didn't bring up was. All that beautiful artwork that you saw, mm-hmm. that was done by the same guy that did the Indiana Jones comic book. Ah, oh, yes, wow. for Marvel Comics, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's very, I have that comic book. I, I have the original package, so it's very yeah, cool to have that. Yeah, Tandy was very, the, I, I remember Mark Siegel goes, we got him. I got guy who? We got the guy that did, um, uh, you know, the Indiana Jones comic book for Marvel. Wow. I think it was Marvel. And, oh, it, I, was there a problem game? Oh, we just had to pay him. Just had to pay him. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> well, Tandy has a tendency to try and get out paying thing for, for things. Absolutely. Very cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's get into the game on results and let's talk about the game. High score challenge with Nick Marona. All right, guys, welcome to the game on results. We had a fantastic week this week with 22 people taking part. R. Allen Murphy, 1100. Adam Jenny Dragon, 1740. Mark Bosley, 3080. Frodo, 4200. Jim Rye, 7600. Joshua, 7600. Aaron, 9430. Mr. Dave, 10210. Damon Beals, 11260. Coco Man, 12140. 
Ken, 12-2720, Catlord, 12-930, me, 13-150, Stevie Stroh, 14,000, David Croker, 17-090, Tom C, 21-440, Redbeard, 21-6, Tasman, 27-650, Rogelio, 28-410, Buck Owens, 32-960, Paul Shoemaker, 61,000, and the number one score this week is our very own L. Curtis Boyle with 67,700. So yeah, we had a fantastic uh, turnout this week. It, it was uh, really good stuff. Thank 67. Now, was that like five minutes when you had a break before supper when you did no, that No, that, that was actually my <laughs> second day doing it. And I'll have to give a big thank you to Buck Owens, actually, Steve Rasmussen, because uh, I couldn't remember how to get past the last level where you have to get onto the boat and float up on the balloon. And I couldn't figure out how to get past the treasure chest. And I remember doing it back in the day, but I just could not remember it. So I played it the one day for about an hour, and uh, I can't get any farther than this. So I just stopped. I was on the last level multiple times. And then he posted a video up showing that you have to climb that pole and shoot sideways to take care of the people that are guarding, you know, the path to the boat. Oh, that's how you do it. And then I went back and played it, you know, a day later, and then I got my high score. Okay. And I think I it, wrapped it, it three times. And it flipped. Like okay. Okay. So you see my screen? No, when it no, we don't see your screen yet, but you are able to share. Okay. When it, when it wraps, does the difficulty go up each time? Yes. They start adding stuff. Like there's another boat that looks like yours facing yeah. you that's coming after you. You get some extra, you know, people that are on some of the levels. Right. Um, you know, trying to shoot you at the same time. I think on the third level, like when you're on the walking path, you get three people shooting at you at once, for example. Wow. Okay. So Two million. score from back in the day. Steve Burke brought up a good point. Hopefully there was some sort of... Uh, score validation on these but two million apparently back in the day rainbow was not known for score validation i'll just say that right now <laughs> this, is a, this is reported anyway take that as you will well, it, it's just amazing that even stevie uh, made it in the top 10 hmm. mm -hmm. and the review from the rainbow magazine radio shack 64k disc 29.95 do you enjoy action games with a bit of adventurous twist if yes give ganabuana a try you will join professor chance Better known as Ganabuana on his hazardous quest for the great secret of legendary Urbis Island. Wow. This game is by Steve Bjork, Zaxxon, latest creation. It requires 64K Coco, Coco Basic, one disk drive. Speech sound pack can be added to make the game a little more interesting. Keyboard or joystick. Yeah, it actually had it in has music as well, right? Which I... Yes. Didn't it? Yes. So I like that. <laughs> Ken Reichard says they hired Billy Mitchell to verify the scores. So <laughs> <laughs> Baker yeah. fine barbecue sauce as well. Yes. Very good stuff. And the most humble guy you'll ever meet. Yeah. Like I gotta say, I enjoyed playing the game. It was fun. So we discovered a little uh, Paul Shoemaker discovered a little glitch uh playing. So this it's a very short clip. So watch the main character, which is uh Professor right there. He's falling from the sky, and then the, he falls through. The portal edition. Look at that. So he's just stuck in a loop. Wow. So anyway, so here's just some random uh, gameplay video from Buck Owens right now. So, so yeah, so what would you guys think of the game, keeping him on the authors here? <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed the heck out of the game. I, because I was playing on an emulator and I was using an Xbox controller, hitting the corners was really hard. So I found most of the time I died was because it jumped in the direction I didn't want it to. That was my biggest complaint. I was just too lazy to break out the real Coco to, to play it. So um, I like using the Black Beauty a lot with this one yeah. for some reason. I just found that 
that was the most predictable in terms of yeah. uh, going where I wanted it to. I have a question from YouTube. We have to, yeah, a couple of questions. One one of the questions was was any of the original code of Zaxxon reused in this? Oh and, God, yes. <laughs> okay, and then another question was was Congo Bongo an inspiration for this game? Well, I was developing the game. Mark Siegel helped in some of the concepts. We had to get all the concepts done so we could get the comic book done. But yes, I would say that uh, as much as Zaxxon was an inspiration for Congo Bongo, it was the same thing. It's that, um, um, you know, the it's just that they were taking their engine, their stuff, and they put it in a new format. And we kind of did a similar thing. Similar, but not exact. Okay. Well, you're right, because it's like you haven't really cloned any of the levels of Congo Bongo, but just the that the, the fact that it's isometric and it's kind of jungle-ish themed is where I, you draw some similarities. Um, the waterfall level's kind of close to one, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that is definitely close to the uh, first level in um, Congo Bongo. But there's a lot of other elements, too, that aren't. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. And, and honestly, and, I'm, and as Steve's here, and I'm not just saying this to, to blow smoke, for him, but it's a really well-designed game. It was a fun, playable game, and um, the difficulty level, even on easy, it seemed like the guy shooting the arrows always knew where you were going to be, and as as frustrating as that was, it was nice to say, man, this is brilliant game design and brilliant programming to have your artificial intelligence be so, you know, insightful to things mm -hmm. that um, I was just like, wow. Um, yeah, the calculations, believe it or not, were easy in a even in assembly. Huh? Yeah, just really basic math. But on that um, on that one screen where you get all the little orange islands over the water, and you're kind of limited in your path where you can go to, it always seemed like his arrow ended up where you were <laughs> going to jump, and it just seems like he knew in advance where you were going to be. You know, if this was a chess game, he knew 10 moves ahead of time where you were going to be to hit you with this dang arrow. That frustrated the heck out of me. Didn't seem unfair, though. Like Some no. games seem very unfair in their yeah. AI, and this yeah. seemed very fair. It just seemed like you had really intelligent enemies, that's all. Um, I have to say, I played with a deluxe joystick, and I didn't have any problem with the corner diagonals. Like It was yeah. pretty easy after a little bit of practice, so I think... You were artificially handicapping yourself there. Yeah, no, I I understood that, so I wasn't blaming the game. I was just, it, it was still frustrating nonetheless. Uh, I got as far as the tar pits. Oh, so what was the deal with the key? If you, it's because when it says got key, what 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 do you gain by getting that key? I couldn't play long enough to figure that out. Well, my memory from forty years ago isn't that great either. <laughs> did anybody read and, and find out? Was it? Did, would you get an extra life, or did it unlock the treasure chest, or something like that? I, I just don't remember. I don't think it unlocked the treasure chest. I'm pretty sure I opened it even without getting the key. Hmm. Or maybe I did and I just didn't notice. I can't remember. Yeah, but that was a whole other thing to get. Was was got key? Now we did find um, a kind of a fun way to do it with. Um, Oh, Ken's saying that the key would open the chest. So maybe if the key, if the chest wasn't open, if you never got a key, you wouldn't be able to. What was in the chest? Is it just points? Yeah. Okay. It, it lets you get up to the final platform to get onto the boat. Ah. To okay. Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, I just think the game, the game design really well. The way the levels worked out, really fun to play. Different. Um. On the Coco Three, 
when you can hold down the click because there was a patch you did steve bjork right you did an official patch for this for the coco three uh yes right and so we found that when we ran the coco three patch and then ran a few palette uh tweaks that we got some really cool colors and so everything that was white, instead of it being white, we used kind of like this pale banana yellow to kind of make it look like the guy had khakis on. And that was kind of cool. Uh, made the light blue a little bit lighter. Um, so it was kind of neat to take the Coco 3 version and just do a couple of palette tweaks on this thing too and just give it a little bit of, uh, you know, recoloring, kind of like remastering for the 21st century. And it just those, those couple little details I found made it really fun to play it and made it a little bit more modern looking, you know. Though I have to say the the original palette, I mean, it's because we're only doing the four colors there. I mean, he varied the levels quite a bit. The water levels with the blue backgrounds, tarpets with the black. Yeah, background. yeah. It, it does look like each level is unique. Yeah, yeah. Now, see this one here. I this I never nice. made it to this one here. Let's see, let's see if we can see this one play through here. So you get the arrow. Uh, you get the bow and arrow. You got a lot of enemies here to deal with. I like the dithering on the top level. Yeah. Now, what is that like a bat that's flying by or a bird? What is that dark? Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's a large bird. Okay. And, oh, and and it looks like it's bobbing up and down, so you have to gauge its elevation when you're there. Nope. No. Nope. But if you start climbing that pole to get that crossbow, and it comes up behind you, it'll hit you. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, so the, that's that what you have to do. That top of that post is where you have to shoot diagonally up to the okay. left towards the chest to get the... rid of those two people. That's gotcha. what I could gotcha. figure out first. Gotcha. 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 And of course, so you know that the thing is flying. Notice it's got a shadow. Yeah. Yeah. Altitude. Yeah. Shades of Zaxxon. Exactly. <laughs> Literally. Okay, there's the chest, and then there's the... Ah, look at that. That's how you win the game. So yeah. he flies away, flies and off into like the Canyon sunset. And just like Canyon Climber, you think you're done. Flies <laughs> off into the sunset. All is good. We're going home. It's Miller time. Oh, no. Oh! I've been shot. <laughs> oh, crap. It's like Henry Blake all over again. Oh, wow. And, of course, now the difficulty ramps up. Now you've got enemies in the canoes, and they oh, um, nice. they fire you got at the you. sharks. More sharks, a lot more water turbulences to avoid. Well, the water turbulences actually didn't do anything. They're there so that uh, you can that you know you're moving. Oh, I thought they were obstacles. I always tried to dodge nope. them. Nope. For making it harder than it was. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm an idiot. What do you want from me? <laughs> well, see, the thing is, when you got towards the end of the level and you picked up all the map pieces, uh-huh. Uh, you didn't have much on the screen to show you're in water moving relative uh, to you. I see. Okay. So that was to keep keep the sense of movement and stuff happening. There's a few that would come down, and then as you picked up the map pieces, those map pieces turned into, um, you know, the, the ripples in the water. Ah, okay. Ah, that's interesting little trivial piece there. Just little things that had to go in. Now, somebody also, maybe it was uh, Buck Owens, he found out that if you ran a disc uh, hex editor on the disc, there were notes in there. And it said something That's like, this This was. game took, you know, eight months to produce and four months to to package and this and that and the other. I forgot how exactly it went. Can you find that mm -hmm. picture, Nick? I thought that was kind of neat. Somebody discovered I'm not, that. Actually, that brings up my next question, because you also had a hidden message in there about looking forward to Ghanabwana 2. And I was going to ask whatever happened to that. Um, let's see, a couple of things. Um, I didn't like how much they paid me for this. <laughs> That'll do it. That's a, that's a good reason. Yeah. Here's the next dump. Okay. So when I was, when I was talking to them about more stuff, mm -hmm. uh, you know, doing the sequel, 
And I said, I want to be paid more. Okay. Uh, remember my comment earlier about Tandy not wanting to pay people? Yeah. That's a good example. Okay. So here it is here. It says, Ghana Buana Facts. It took five months to develop the concept, eight months to program, five months to package the most ambitious entertainment program to date. Look for the sequel, Ghana Buana 2. The Underwater Treasure coming soon to a computer near you. Ghana Buana Facts. It took, okay, and it, and it repeats. That's neat. Well, there's still time. Is yeah. it Coco Market again? <laughs> Ghana Buana 2, <laughs> the Underwater Treasure. It probably, probably people would buy it. Right. How far did you get in Guanabana 2 before the contract negotiations failed? Like, was it just at the concept stage or actually, actually it started coding or drawing graphics or anything? Uh, it was the discussion stage. Okay. You know, I'm not going to sit there and spend a lot of time on it if Dandy isn't going to pay me enough to do it. Because they wanted to pay me half of what they're paying. I wanted to be doubled. We we're just not going to come together on it. So how did things eventually get straightened out so you actually did write games for them again? Well, we just went on to other projects that I had more control over. Oh, okay. Do you seem to recall, Steve, um, how this how this did, what the, uh, what the box it office did, was for it? It did okay, but like most disc-oriented programs, the sales were low. Mainly for two reasons. One, you had to have a disc drive. Two, if you had a disc drive, you're probably pirating the games anyways. Okay. There was a lot of piracy on this. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, basically like if you're in a major market like Los Angeles or New York or Chicago, there's not much sales at those stores. I was in, when I went to a Rainbow Fest, I was talking to one of the Radio Shack people who says, yeah, we don't get much in for the Cocoa, especially on the disc software because we, we can't sell it. I go, oh, what is it? They think it's bad. No, they just go ahead and pirate it. Wow. <laughs> Ken Reichert says the villain in Gone of Wanna 2 was Tandy. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, you know, this was produced by me for both the Color Computer and the Tandy 2000. And, of course, that had incredibly, incredibly low sales because nobody could justify on their business machine buying a game. Matter of fact, it's one of the few games that ever came out for the Tandy 2000 alone. And that game was like one of the, that computer was one of the only production machines to use a, was it the 186 processor? Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 186 and custom graphics and went up to 640 by 400, which at the time was quite high, but it wasn't fully PC compatible. So sales weren't good even yeah. to the business market. Yeah, the BIOS wasn't compatible. It was only MS-DOS compatible. We used to call it the incompatible compatible. <laughs> well, when Tandy came out with the 2000, they were worried about getting sued. So that's why it wasn't very compatible. They did throw some good hardware into it, though. Ironically yeah. enough, there was good graphics and good sound, better than almost anything else at the time. Yeah, it also had the, was it quad density disks or whatever? It did 720. Yeah, those all, what, what ended up happening to the 2000, that became what we called our SOS, our store operating system. So that's what, when we had to punch mm -hmm. in all the yellow tickets at the end of the, at the end of the night, whoever the assistant manager was had to punch in all the sales receipts into that computer. Um, so it got used for that. <laughs> a little secret. I used to work in a Radio Shack store 
all those duties that are supposed to be done by the a manager get done by the poor schlocks that work there. Hmm. Hmm. Ours was done by the assistant manager, Ernest. He he did all the tickets at night. I remember were, that. were they still on the clock, or was that like after? Uh, the clock? I think so. I honestly, I don't um, remember. When Sometimes. I used to have to do it, <laughs> um, the store would close at nine, and then I'd start working on it, and the manager only would give me until nine fifteen to be done. I usually walked out of there about ten thirty. Wow. There's Tandy, not one to pay for things. Right. Mm-hmm. So who on that the, was, yeah, sorry. that was back in the day where they still weren't using the computers yet. So you had to do everything manually. Yeah, it was there wasn't networked or anything. So I think all the tickets were punched in and then they were possibly modemed up to Dallas or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was modemed. Yeah, it was yeah. trans it, it was transmitted through CompuServe. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what CompuServe was for. Yep. Oh, I managed to uh but, oh, it, uh, wasn't, it wasn't CompuServe, but it was it was that service that was used uh, that you dial a local number and you logged in. TimeNet, Telnet, yeah, something yeah. like that. Well, you question. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say Steve was gonna ask a question about who won something. Well, I was just gonna that. say who who in the panel played the game. I know I played. Tom C played. Um, we had a bunch of people playing this week. Twenty two. Oh people. yeah, we had twenty two people. Yeah. Alan Murphy, did you play? Yes, yeah, I you, did. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. Joshua played. I was happy to see he came in at the last minute yeah. on uh, Friday yeah. along with his dad. Yeah, I did. Notice I know. I remember Joshua. I don't remember the dad's name. I, I do. David Croker. I know. I just okay. went around. <laughs> <laughs> That's the joke. You don't remember the kids and the parents yeah. are just like, ah, oh, whatever. Right. But no, I was really glad to see that they they uh, got scores in at the last minute yesterday, and uh, yeah, we had a good turnout. By the way, this game did show up in an arcade cabinet. Really? Yep. Uh, the Color Computer Expo back in, I think it was 87. Um, I took my Defender's machine and suck a cocoa inside of it and modified it to go to the monitor and put a different control panel on it, of course, because Defender has quite a bit different controls. They don't have a left for left right uh, switch but uh, yeah so you got to play it in our uh, in our arcade machine at the expo wow oh, that's cool and did you have the speech sound pack cool. in there too for the full sound effect y- yep i mean it's the coco fit very nicely in the bottom of the case so it's just and now i think about it, i did put a different monitor in because it was hard to um, convert the coco's video output even on a uh, composite video that doesn't work for the uh, analog rgb in the arcade monitor but yeah it would make a good arcade game you know i was just thinking about um so congo bongo so congo bongo uh, historically timeline wise it came out after zaxon right because he used the same type of hardware correct congo bongo to me seemed like sega's attempt at jumping in on the donkey kong bandwagon fame you know because you had the the gorilla was the antagonist right so you were a guy going you know going after a gorilla who i think also stole your girlfriend similar to donkey kong right so you had the big the big gorilla guy um so i think Mm -hmm. that was their attempt to cash in on people's infatuation with you know 
going after a big monkey <laughs> in the jungle in the jungle yeah. right so yeah yeah well there, there there was a lot of what it was is they're trying to come up with a platform game and they wanted to take it to the next level okay make it 3d so they used the technology they developed for zaxon and brought it over now i got to work very 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 closely with Sega when I was doing Zaxxon. Uh, I got to see some of the stuff, their test marketing and, and like that. Did you actually get to see the original Zaxxon code too? Or? I saw the original Zaxxon code. I also saw the um, original Zaxxon game, which I could see absolutely 100% why it did not play well in American markets. If you want to see what it kind of looks like, Look for a video on Super Zaxxon Arcade. It's got pastel colors. You're battling a dragon at the end. Huh. And, and like that. That was what the original was. But, you know, these companies, they um, usually, you know, they'll try and develop stuff in-house. But if there's like a smaller company and they, you know, that company's not going to bring it over to America. They'll go ahead and license it and like that. That's exactly what happened with Frogger. That wasn't a Sega creation. Hmm. It's kind of like uh, Namco did a lot of stuff for like Pac-Man. Uh, Pac-Man was developed in Japan, but wasn't it was a Valley Midway or something or Namco that yep. released it in the United States? I don't remember. So some of that stuff. That is, yeah. Yeah the, yeah. the two companies that were... Uh, buying a lot of Namco stuff was uh, Midway, and then of course um, Atari. Yeah, Atari licensed uh, Kangaroo and a couple other ones. Oh God, that was a horrible game. Yeah, that was another Kangaroo. Donkey Kong inspired game that just. I liked Kangaroo. Okay, <laughs> Buggy. okay, Nick, maybe Kangaroo is in the Donkey game. Is that the game of the week next week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I was talking um, with Nick Morantes uh, the other day about Kangaroo, and I, I, I told him I liked that game, but I guess I'm in the minority. Does anybody have any feedback on playing the game this week? Especially since Steve's here, or questions for Steve about the development of the game or inspirations, anything like that? I just remember sucking at it back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say probably the number one complaint. It's too hard. <laughs> I honestly didn't find it that hard once yeah, I remembered that good. one trick, but... yeah. But I played it a lot back in the day. That was one of the games I actually bought as a kid that I could, you know, because my budget was quite limited. Yeah, no, I, it didn't seem cheap at all. Like the AI didn't seem cheap or anything. No, like, no, so really, it seemed I like a it was... very well designed game from how it played to how you moved to how you how your enemies seemed to anticipate where you were going to be. You know, it was it was a fair challenge. You didn't feel like you were uh, walking through the park in this game, even on easy. There's, there's a fair bit of variety. I mean, there's, you're still gathering the map points and stuff, but as you go through the different levels, there's different things like having to climb ropes on the waterfall and you know climb the pole on the final level, and then you know the difficulty ramping up as you go through um, the levels. As you go through again, they start adding in new things to to deal with. Yeah, one of the, I think one of the best compliments that I got was from Marty Goodman, where he said that in the design of my games, I try and make it so that a the difficulty level builds slowly based on your skill and two that when you do die i back off on the difficulty level 
So it gives you a chance to get going again because so many game designers would keep the difficulty level up that you'd go, okay, I'm doing great, I'm doing great. Die, 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 die. die. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 And as a game player, I found frustrating. I mean, even things like when I was playing um, Kangaroo, I was thinking this was a terrible game. I just recently watched a video on it about, yeah, this is a game that Atari bought and brought to America. And the management, well, you know, it costs us so much money to make a game or so much money to buy the game. You know, it's basically the same. So, okay, since it's basically the same, we don't care if it's quality or crap. Well, you should for your brand and for hopefully sales, right? You want that's what the that's what the programmers kept saying. Because all the Atari developed games, they do have good game design in them. They do have it where it builds up slowly, and eventually gets to the point where yeah, it's too hard for you because I got to get somebody else to put a quarter in. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, Atari invented that feature. They called it Skill Step in Tempest, and they actually made it a selling point in the original manual. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you, Steve, uh, is this the first or one of the first games you did that actually would save your high scores to disc two so that people could like, compete against themselves for months on end? Um, well, it's, it is one of the first disc-related games. But every disc game that I did, uh, I tried to put in if you're going to have a high score system, try to save them off the disc. Now, a good example of a game that does that is Sands of Egypt. You had different 10 different slots to save your game to. And um, yeah, so you could pick up where you left off if you got stuck. Exactly. Well, the game was so long, you had to do that. Oh, no, he's going to leave his cocoa on for five days. No parent would want that. No, I did that in the very first days. I did because yeah. I didn't even have cassette back then. But, yeah, they're, you know, I pretty much most of the disc games I did that to. Though the one concern that Tandy had was, well, you're writing to the disc. Aren't you worried you're going to kill the disc? Well, I had stuff in there that if I had IO error on the track that had the uh, game save, I just reformat the track. There you go. Huh. Cool. Yeah, so unless the disc was physically damaged in some way. Exactly. And the thing is, you would only do it once um, on, on boot up of the game. And let's see, what was it? One other. Th oh, yeah, if it couldn't read the disc, it would just not have a high score system. So well, just, how many uh, rights would a floppy disk back then be rated for before you ran into problems? Was there were there such metrics? They still write today, so I'm assuming it's quite a bit because I still use real floppies to this day. So from 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, um, that it, 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 that's a question definitely for another time because it would require research. Huh. And David yeah, and different brands of David, floppies and stuff yeah, too would be different. It would require David. We cannot have any formal <laughs> floppy discussion without David Ladd present. So true, um, true. Didn't realize he wasn't here today. Right. Well, I I am wearing the David Ladd haircut since he's not here. We have to keep that tradition going. So, um, all right. So Nick, if we could, if I may be so bold as to ask you, what game will we be playing next week? All right. So this is a Coco two slash three game. 
and it was uh, came as a sort of a group request. Um, Anybody recognize that game? I know it's very difficult to identify. I don't understand. What is that? What is that? Rubik's Cube? <laughs> Chinese checkers? What is this? So we're going to go back to uh, the old days and do some Tetris throwdown. Okay. So this is the... Uh, a licensed Tetris. version of it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, written by Greg Zumwalt. And this is a this version works in both Coco 2 and 3. So uh, you know, if you play on a 3, obviously. So whatever version... So yeah, and just leave the default options. Uh, start from level zero with no lines, and uh, see what the uh, what kind of scores we can accumulate. Okay. It's Tetris. There should be. Uh, I think everybody. Yeah, knows wake Tetris me up. Well. Wake me up after next week. <laughs> hey, you know what? <laughs> That's a snoozer. Not every game is going to kill everybody. <laughs> but some people did request this when we're talking about yeah. different games. So. Yeah, we kind of always have games with no skill for Stevie. So yeah. exactly. I want you to notice something though on the screen, the version number. It's always three sets of numbers with two uh, digits. That was Tandy standard. Because one, because yeah. they got updated so often. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and to track and I, all those incremental changes that get reburned, right? So yeah, well, they did the some thing. updates on their disk software, like their OS nine. They did, I think, three versions of level one as they went on. But yeah, it was very rarely updated games. Yeah. I mean, almost every game is like uh, zero one, zero, 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 zero. I, I, one time I was tempted to just put in there when I'm sending one out for them to test is this is the first version. It's never going to change. <laughs> that should be interesting. I actually I've never played Tetris on the Coco, so I'll give it a shot. And just uh, as a reminder, in three weeks time, we're going to be doing Bomb Threat. So people have started ordering uh, this. You can get the uh, disc version from rickadams.org slash bomb, uh, bomb threat. Mm -hmm. And people have also been re uh, receiving their cartridge versions, uh, Neil, N-E-I-L, at cococrew.org. So um, so we still have some time to order those because it's uh, there's no digital download option on this one. So if you want to take part, uh, you need to have phys the physical media. No. So that'll be in three weeks time. Now, I got a question. I got a question about the game, physical media. Is he still offering the SD card for the um, SDC? Rick Adams. I don't know. Yeah, or did he ever offer that? No, it's a CD. He offered that. The CD. He offered the CD. Okay. Which has the bins and the DSK files on it. Now I'm probably confusing it with somebody else that offered that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was the 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 tree game. Timberman. Timberman. Timberman was on an SD. And Paul Thayer. Yeah, I have one thing to add about uh, Bomb Threat. Yeah, what's that? Um, I had purchased a, an early version, like close when, close to when it came out from the first time, and uh, I did. Uh, uh, Rick did set me up with the uh, latest version because I sent him uh, proof of proof of purchase. Mm -hmm. So that was my question uh, last week because I knew I had a really really early version. Ah. And, I mean, there's a video glitch, and this isn't the, right, this the isn't version. The I think screen. the version that I had had the uh, had the video bug. Video so. glitch. Yeah. Well, I thought it was a kill screen where you eventually you'll you'll the. It no, did. that Wolf. one apparently never went out and never got distributed. Apparently, that was no, because Grant only on cartridge. Mm -hmm. On cartridge. Oh, okay. No, it was distributed on cartridge. Yeah. That bug the, 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 the first round on cartridge because Grant Grant found the bug and he got the kill screen. So um, there's a way there. to tell which version you have, and I'll I'll post that in the. Uh, Discord channel. Well, you know, maybe Rick should have just kept Tandy's uh, version numbering system, made it easier. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
And I'm trying to think of what games actually got upgrades. The only one I can remember off the top of my head that actually did get a version number change was Downland because the original one didn't run on the Coco 3 at all. So they right. did release a patch cartridge with 1.0, 1.00. All right. A lot of a lot of reasons why the games didn't work on a um, Coco Three that were designed for the Coco One. Uh, it was the program was simply clear memory all the way through. Yep, you're including your vector page. <laughs> yep, exactly. And all the patches I did and like that for my games for Tandy were just simply okay. We're going to stop at uh, F E or whatever it was. Yeah, F D F F. Yeah, FDFF. So, yeah, just... Tandy, why did you change that? <laughs> All right. Thank you, Steve. For, yeah, uh, thanks for... Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Thanks for a great game. Thanks for being here to talk to us about it uh, and for suggesting to do a, a Steve Bjork game for the Game On Challenge. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I noticed you're doing all these games. I, I'm kind of going, okay, that uh, I'm seeing all these obscure games which is great because people forget about them and like that and of course then then when you just decide to do mine you're going to do one of my most obscure you know obscured games <laughs> and i was going to say too i think the uh, the coco community nowadays would offer you a better pay per um, copy sold if you did write gonabana 2 just as a hint yeah <laughs> you know, I, I think our negotiations would be a bit better than tandy's for on a right, per copy yeah. basis that's right <laughs> yeah yeah all right, we're going to take a, a brief commercial break, and um, we're going to come back with our first panel discussion about something that came up on Facebook this week, and we'll let Richard Lorbieski lead us on this one. But one of the discussions came up was about uh, desoldering things on your cocoa, and desoldering is obviously something that should be done by those who know how to do it properly, but we can talk about that. I won't even try to solder, let alone desolder. So you can I'm with you, you. You can guarantee you won't find the OG trying to do any of that. So how about we take a break and we'll be back and we'll get into a panel discussion. We've got news, we've got game on news, we've got updates and acquisitions, we've got plenty to talk about, not to mention Tom C's birthday to celebrate. So more Coco Talk after these words, everybody. Hi. This is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. Vous écoutez Coco Talk. As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord. Coco123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool Coco periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the Documents link to view all the past issues of the Coco123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, uh, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.
The Coco World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Coco Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Coco Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's get you on the show, and let's talk about the Coco. Hi, I'm Tim, and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Uh, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? All right, I love and that. we're back, we're back, we're back. So um, we are going to get into a panel discussion. However, what we're going to do before we do that, if you guys all remember, you, you all remember how I've been commenting on how dreamy. Um, Nick Marotta's hair is and how dreamy, oh, how dreamy he's been looking <laughs> and of course we had a, a fan submitted somebody went on the archives and they found an old uh, cover of, of Tiger Beat magazine that Nick Marotta was on the cover of with his dreamy hair well the, the archives have been scoured again and another vintage Nick Marotta sighting was found this was submitted to us by a fan of the show you guys ready for this latest Nick Marotta vintage sighting Oh, Here we go. No, say no. No, but oh, yeah. go ahead anyway. Here we go. The smooth <laughs> oh! Canadian. Look at that. Oh, wow. Look at him. It says this Canadian has a reputation for smoothness, so you won't catch him drinking anything less than the smoothest whiskey around. Windsor, a whiskey made with glacier-fed spring water and aged in the clear, clean air of the Canadian Rockies. Nick Marotta. The smooth Canadian, everybody. <laughs> yeah, but my horse is parked outside. Yeah, but the model in that photo doesn't look happy. That's because he's keeping all the smooth whiskey to himself there. Oh. Like Tandy, they weren't willing to pay her much. The yep. smooth Canadian, Nick. That's her that, sultry look. That is. That is Nick. Nick is just a man about town, I got to tell you. We, uh, we 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 want to be Nick Marota one day. So, um, and if we fail at that, at least have his hair. <laughs> I'll put it on eBay after I get it cut. All right. So, does anybody remember what the lead-in was? What was the what was the discussion about soldering that we're going to talk about now? Because, um, our Richard, you want to you want to you want to lead with this or talk take the ball with this here? Oh, okay. Well, it, it was actually it was posted last night, I believe. Okay. Uh, or, or earlier that yesterday but basically it, it's been the ongoing uh discussion about you know the use of desoldering tools and how to desolder especually the uh, 6809 and versus that, a destructive removal i think was yeah the destructive versus taking it out outright and you know there there's pluses and minuses and both arguments here uh me personally i have the equipment and the 
uh, know all or the uh, the way to to at least salvage the uh, chip but for best practices it's actually better to clip it out because I've seen so many people who try to desolder that chip and try to keep it intact wind up destroying the board which is far more expensive than that chip the chip is you know at most could cost upwards of twenty dollars versus you know you can't replace a coco 3 motherboard anymore so you know uh again that's it, it's, it's just one of those ongoing things and and uh there was some of the things i wanted to talk about as far as why you would uh clip it out besides trying to desolder you know some people have like myself i have a desoldering tool that it's made by pace it's one probably one of the best ones you can get but there's also another one that has a pistol grip i think it's Haikou. or i i can't or haiku i don't know how it's pronounced but it's a pistol grip yeah it's a pistol grip one uh i don't i'm not a particular fan of the pistol grip that's no, why tom I, c's got one yeah tom has one he's showing it right there and that's actually a really good one but even with that uh uh with that desoldering tool whatever one you have uh it's it's still a difficult task uh to take out and keep it intact um so you know my my thing is if you do it or or attempt to do it my my thing is go ahead and clip out the chip instead of trying to desolder it out uh you know and trying to keep it intact uh let's see if I can share the screen, I can't share the screen. Okay, uh, let me stop sharing and then I'll, sorry about that. Uh, somebody wake me up, all right? Okay, good, yeah. All right, you can share now, Richard. I can share, okay, so they're here. Okay, am I sharing yet? Oh, wait a minute. Okay, so uh, is, is it showing? Uh, I yep. now see wallpaper and some pictures, yes. Okay, so let me go ahead and maximize this. This is the uh, give you. This is the picture that I use. I use a paste. This is the soldering station itself. Okay. And let's see, where is the other picture that I have here? Oh, it's like down here. I'm sorry, I'm not as organized here. And this is these are the two tools that I use. This top one up here is my soldering pencil. Okay. And the reason I like the using the paste here, you see this little screw. It's very easy to take these solder tips out because I use. Uh, like three three tips that I use. I use a chisel type, which is this one here. I have a concave, and I have two types of concave. This here is the desoldering tool here. And uh, again, uh, it's it's the problem. The other problem that I don't recommend people when using this tool, uh, some kind of uh, solder sucker like that, is with Tandy. This is the back end of a Coco Three. If you notice something that these leads are clipped. So it's very difficult to put a desoldering tool down in here and trying to suck that solder out because what will happen is even as people use like a manual tool, like a solder pullet, trying to get this stuff out, is it will leave a little residue, uh, what they call solder sweat. And it's very, and, and when people try to pull the chip out, what will happen is it'll take the, the pad along with it and, and along with the trace. So again, that's it's a not, bad thing. It's a bad thing. It's very, you know, again, it takes, a, it takes skill to get these things out. And most of the time with Tandy boards is 
you can still remove most of the solder or the majority of it. And there's still like this little 1%, just a little smudge left that still has a tension between the, the via or the via and the, the lead itself. And so you try to have to break that tension sometimes when you pull the chip off. Uh, there's a video that Stevie did of me actually desoldering a 6809 out. And you could see when I tried to pry that chip out after I desoldered it, there's still tension on that chip. And again, it takes, it takes some skill uh, to pull that chip out. It just doesn't come out cleanly uh, in one piece. You, sometimes you have to jimmy it a little bit. Uh, this particular board here, this is a different board right here. This is where I'm showing you a close-up. You can see the leads right here that are exposed here. This is much easier to desolder a chip out. And I can show you where, uh, let's see, where is it? Yeah, here's the top part. As you can see, when I desolder it, you can see how cleanly it comes out. You can see that there's no solder in here, and it's very easy to do when you have those leads out there. But unfortunately, when you don't have that, this is what usually winds up. Uh, this is, I have a whole stack of boards like this. As you can see, people apply too much heat. Uh, they pull these chips up, uh, give you the top part here. Actually, this is one that I have actually desoldered. This is a Coco 3 board that I just demonstrated, you know, my desoldering seals. I decided to take out all the chips. But let's see, here's one that the top part where you can pull the traces out. You can see all these pads are gone because when the person pulled this chip out, you could also see in this area right here is they used a screwdriver and they, when they pried it up, they actually uh, scraped the, uh, solder mask and they also messed up the traces right here and they cut the traces as well when they attempted to pull this chip out. That's the other thing that you have to, there's proper tools that actually uh, to extract these uh, chips out and a lot of people don't do that. Okay, I'm finished. Richard, um, Tandy Cocoa boards, they're just simply two-sided uh, opposed to four-layer. Four they're only right. two-layer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the other thing is these boards are 30 years old, and the way that these are manufactured is there's an adhesive that the copper is put onto mm -hmm. the, the board itself, and that adhesive, you know, it, it breaks down. So that's when you apply heat to it. So these traces uh, and pads actually... Uh, come undone from the board itself, so they, they become brittle. So sometimes even when, when you do have a clean solder joint uh, or, or clean out the solder out completely, sometimes that pad is loose on the chip, it's, uh, on the board itself. So you have to be really careful with these. Most of the time, you can only desolder these chips once. You only have one shot at it. And that's a good illustration where you were pointing there to chip 10. You've got a trace coming in from one side, a trace going out the other side. There's probably a via and a trace on the back. So if you break one of those pads, you've got to fix a whole lot of stuff. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I have like this other board that I have where, where it's, it's uh, uh, where is it? this one here that I desoldered all the, the chips. I actually use this board as a, as a way to... Uh, trace down uh, broken traces. I can use a continuity tester to, to check where the traces are. 
it's very difficult in the manual this they they have the picture of the board with the traces but sometimes it's hard to to uh, look at an illustration it's just much faster and easier to do it with the continuity meter very cool 6809 processors are still available commercially um James yes. still has them yeah the, what they are they're used they're not they're not brand new ones they haven't made new ones since 2000 um of course your most, website has a good supply of them too right yeah i i get them from a, a source in china but what i do is i test them all out before i uh uh ship them out because mm. a lot of i've i've received stuff from china that are fakes relabels and stuff like that and you know i i have to have to deal with that and because there's a lot there's a lot of, especially on ebay there's a lot of guys that are selling those processors really really cheap and but they, they don't work when you get them now richard after you get the 6209 in you recommend of course putting a socket in right because you don't yeah, want to go through that ever again but um i found in cases either the really really cheap sockets work well or the real really good ones you know the expensive ones mm -hmm. work well the middle range seem not to be so good especially if there comes a reason you have to remove the socket because you didn't get a trace fix properly right yeah the one i recommend are the what they call the machine uh sockets the, mm -hmm. the ones with the round holes in them they're a little bit uh pricier but you're talking about less than a dollar difference so right. i i'd recommend those because those last longer and uh, they you generally you get a better contact mm -hmm. on those traces yeah see the real cheap ones it's kind of easy to get the plastic off so they're back to being individual again which mm -hmm. makes it easier to do the machine ones are a little bit tougher but if you got the right uh cutter they'll cut easily right and then you can remove them so yeah when you're yeah that's the thing i keep telling my my friends when they're working on their uh, retro computers you always have to think about undoing what you just did mm -hmm. yeah and obviously richard you know a lot about soldering this is what you do this is what you did back in the day this is what you do for your real job and this is mm -hmm. what you do for all the things you design and repair and upgrade so you're coming from a world of lots of experience, and so you're trying to give people some useful advice here on how not to screw things up. Right. Yeah, as, as far as repairing Tandy boards, I mean, one of my first jobs was working at Tandy Computer Assembly. It's one of the assembly plants. It was in San Antonio. And I used to component level model three boards and two boards. And so as far as, I've, I probably have fixed a couple of thousand uh, Tandy Radio Shack boards, you know, component level. So, yeah, I, I have a little bit of experience with these things. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I know enough about my lack of soldering skills. I don't even try to solder. So right. I just, I will I will get a hold of somebody who knows how to do that and kindly ask them for their help. Yeah. Stevie, Stevie, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, if you don't know how to solder, you're not going to get better unless you do some soldering. Yeah, if, if you if you don't if you're an occasional you know person that solders, I I would first practice on a a junk board. I would buy one from a thrift store and practice on that before you start on right. doing like, on, on the you know on on your 
on on something like on on your color computer and things like so, that. Somebody mentioned a Commodore is a good starter computer. They're plainly <laughs> available. And, <laughs> there's yeah, lots I, of them out there. Yeah, there's lots of them out there, but there's there's fewer and fewer Cocoa, especially Cocoa threes that you yeah. can uh, really really work on. Um, there's a couple of other things I, I also wanted to address. There was there was some question about you know one of the people you know working on Cocoa threes. Desolder, and there were question about you know him, and this is Mark Morlet actually clipping the chips out and desoldering it that way. Um, you know that's that's the way he does that, and there's nothing wrong with clipping the chip out. Um, and if and if I had, if I wasn't repairing boards, would I trust Mark to work on my board? Uh, the answer is yes. Um, I I don't see anything wrong with with clipping the chip out of there. And uh, again, it's not an easy task to desolder these things out and having the chip intact. So just clipping it out doesn't, you know, mean that you're, you know, you don't know what you're doing or you don't have the expertise of doing that. Mark has repaired hundreds of Cocoa 3s. Uh, he's been around for a very long time. I would absolutely trust him if, if I needed my Cocoa repaired. So mm -hmm. I, I have no question about his expertise as far as working on cocos or even putting in uh, upgrading a chip well it's safer too because if you clip the pins and I, i'm speaking like stevie like i have no skill in soldering whatsoever right. but because you clip it you can desolder one pin at a time whereas if you're trying to get the whole chip out you have to get all 40 pins clean before you can pull the chip out right yeah it, yeah there's less likely that you, you can you can still pull a trace if you don't do it right but it's still it's it's less likely Right, it's very easy for your desolder tool to take the pin out for you, along with the solder, and the right. problem's gone. Yeah, and there's there's two particular pins. I believe it's pin seven and pin thirty nine. Uh, especially, I think thirty nine is the ground plane. So when you apply heat to that, what will happen is that heat will dissipate all, along the ground plane itself. So it doesn't really quite melt the solder. I mean, there's ways you can get it to get the solder melted you can actually add solder to it before you extract the solder out but again it's it, it there's there's some skill involved in this right and so. if you do if if you do a search of coco talk and and 6809 you could see you could actually see me actually taking a a, a chip upgrading a chip out of there yeah that's on my youtube channel we should be able to find that and post a link to that later on um, yeah, thankfully, there's no videos of me desoldering my hair. So yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess I guess the moral of that story is this: if you are a person who is reasonably good at soldering, um, and you haven't done this before, despite what your actual skill level is, this might be something you would suggest somebody who's not really good at, at doing this to not do it. Right. I. I would. I would. I would. You know. I would actually probably take it to somebody that has has you know experience in doing this or does it you know on a daily basis uh i mean i'm not trying to just me but yeah 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 if you're looking for somebody i think probably the, some of the best people that you can get are people that repair old video games uh or arcade games those are probably your best people right. because they they have to solder and unsolder stuff you know in in and and they have a multitude of boards that they have to work with so that's probably your best bet is there anybody in the some... community that we know who deals with old arcade stuff 
Anyone. Uh, regular no basis. Idea. Anyone. Anyone. Bueller. Uh, I, I don't Bueller. Know. Maybe. Maybe. He's <laughs> trying to be really quiet right now on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, we don't know anybody. Ah, yeah. There he is. It's the yeah, birthday boy. Birthday boy Tom C. Um, but there, there's also other people in the Coco community. I know that uh, Ian Maverick uh, also does it. Uh, yeah, David O'Connor. David O'Connor. Uh, Paul, Paul Barton. Paul um, Barton. Paul Shoemaker. Uh, David Ladd could do it. Uh, Ed Snyder has uh, done some repairs. Uh, these are all people I would trust uh, to repair my Coco. So. And there's, probably, and there's there's definitely uh, Neil Blanchard also does it out of Canada uh, that I know of. So go. yeah, there's plenty of people out there. You know, I do this too for my own stuff, but other people's stuff, I don't want to take the responsibility for it. Right. You know, well, that's it, the thing. It, I used ahead. to do this, but I don't have a free cocoa motherboard in case I mess something up so I'm not going to offer to do someone else's <laughs> until I'm in that position where I have spare parts I can say sorry here's a new one yeah. well not only that I, I have the board you know it's it's I have all the equipment but I also have like the flux the the rosin the, the flux remover I have other desoldering tools like I, I have a manual solder sucker I have solder wick you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways you can take a chip out. Richard. Yes. Can't you um, put a 6309 on top of a 6809 and switch the power? I don't recommend piggybacking. Uh, Why? The only the only problem is if it breaks, it's you're you're it's it's almost impossible to take both chips out. Also, electronically, you're going to change the capacitance on some of the control lines. And the resist, you know, and the other levels. It's just electronically, it's not a good thing to do. Right, you're hanging a CMOS chip on top of an NMOS chip, which is really going to make the CMOS chip confused, possibly. Mm -hmm. Adding extra load to the lines from that, you know, inactive processor. Well, see, back in the day, we used to piggyback memory chips, and that wasn't so bad, because the chips were identical in technology between NMOS and all the others, but also they were a lot less scale integration as far as what's connected at the pin. In the case of the 6809, there's a lot of circuitry on each one of those pins. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I know that it can be done, but I, I again, I don't recommend it just, just on, on a repair basis. It's just, if, if something goes wrong, it's a, it's a nightmare to fix. All right. Well, RAM is active all the time, <clears throat> whereas the processors, you got one that's sitting inactive and one that's active. Mm -hmm. Cool stuff. Did we beat that topic to death? Have we, have we gotten the message out there? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it probably next month because it's kind of an ongoing debate. So. Okay. All right. We what, can def also... what DEF CON level are we at? I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just, we got a lot to cover and it is a holiday and I know that people want yeah. to go out and sacrifice uh, people to the volcanoes and stuff still. So, um, that's probably going to want it too, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Richard. Thanks for that public service announcement. We're okay. going to take another commercial break and then we're going to come back with news with L Curtis Boyle. Is everybody excited for news? 
Mikey, you got your pillow ready? <laughs> Snoozy newsy time. All right, we'll be back after these words. After these messages, we'll be right back. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. But, JT... Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. On holidays, Uncle JT would entertain us with stories of his business conquests and his assistant who would meet any deadline that he imposed, no matter how ridiculous. Well, until she shot him in the face, that is. Hi, this is the award-winning Alan Huffman of Subby the Software, and you're watching Stevie Fall Off Cliffs. What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Coco Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at cocotalk.live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. This is not the Joey Serial Switch. This is the Joey Serial Switch. Control up to three serial devices. Order yours today at CocoMan.biz. Radio Shack, America's technology store. Right. This Christmas, Tandy has a very special offer. A family color computer pack to take away at a very special price. This family computer comes complete with software and costs an incredible $449, a saving of $241.69. It's powerful, educational, and ideal for the young and young at heart. The easy way to start computing. The color computer family pack from Tandy. Get it while it's hot. Tandy, the biggest electronic store in Australia. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tim. Playing Daggereth like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Curtis A new Muppet News Flash. All right, and we're here with news with your special foreign correspondent. L. Curtis, but everybody remember to wake Michael Furman up. During, the during news four news. Yeah. I must say, I like that first version of the serial switch because now I'm hungry. <laughs> Just remember to share computer sound this time. Hey, you guys seeing that? Yes. Yes. Okay, first up, uh, Tim Alloran. We showed his video yes last week where he was using uh, USB power to power his uh, Coco 2. 
and he has an updated video um and he gets into more detail and he also kind of made a joke at the beginning which i'll play in a second here about uh, the fact that you know most of us hadn't watched the video beforehand so i sent him a message i said i did watch it beforehand but uh, i don't understand hardware so that's probably part of the problem um but he mentions that uh, the previous version of it the usb doesn't supply enough power to power all the peripherals so like the basic stuff like the joystick ports worked in the video and the cpu and stuff but stuff like the cassette port or the seal port would not work so I won't play the whole thing, but I'll just play the little bit of the beginning because I thought it was kind of amusing. And you guys let me know if the volume is okay. Um, still working on power on my Coco 2. Uh, I'll link the video below where I demonstrated using USB power to power most of it. And there was some interest. Um, Coco Talk even talked about it. Uh, there were several questions because I don't think anyone had actually watched the video. Um, the hookup did not work with the whole computer. Uh, five volts powered like the Coco SDC, the, the CPU, um, but pretty much all of the peripheral ports except for the joystick didn't work. Um, so I've investigated that more in the schematic and have figured out how to, uh, this video talks about how to run the Coco 2 working entirely, including the Bitbanger and the um, cassette port. And I'll just leave, leave it there so I don't can play the whole thing, but you can watch the rest of the video there. And I believe, uh, Stevie, I think Tim has actually joined us on Discord now. Yes, he did. He did. Yep. So anybody has any further Discord. questions or comments on, on the USB right. power and, project. And, yeah, with the exception of Curtis, who presented the video to us, yeah, a lot of us were seeing this for the first time. So we had not seen the video because we didn't know the video existed at the time you presented yeah. this to us, but we're glad you did. And I'm severely underqualified to talk, comment yeah. on hardware-based uh, no, videos. But, so. but for those who do understand the hardware stuff better, obviously some of those questions started popping into their heads. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think and next up, I'll be doing a soldering video to show my skills. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, this is cool that he's doing this. I think in I think in one of his videos, was this the same guy who cleaned the keyboard and used the stuff? You guys said don't use that stuff. I don't remember. Uh, he that might have been. Yeah, we're I using remember. some type of mineral oil or something like that to clean the keyboards, and everybody's like, no, don't Napsa. use that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. But anyway, so yeah, from what I understand from, from this uh, guy here, Tim, I guess he's more into the TRS-80 world of things, but now he's getting into the Coco. So that's pretty cool. And he's on Discord and he's on Facebook. So welcome to the Coco community, Tim, and welcome to Discord. And, and yeah, if we, if we can get you on the show some point in time, that'd be great too. So we can hear it firsthand about what you're doing and we can ask you the questions directly. And, and clear up any completely wrong information I give. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. And and just so you know, uh, this is not uncommon for USB power adapters to be um, designed for retro systems. They make them for because the original ColecoVision, it had a power brick the size of uh, like four real cinder block bricks. I mean, the ColecoVision power brick was insane. And so they do make like a USB five volt dc adapter for that they make usb power pack and it's not necessarily like you you guys were saying last week it's not necessarily the usb from your computer that only has like the half amp or one amp output but it's, it's more like the wall chargers for usb so they make usb power packs for a lot of 8-bit retro systems atari 800 has them ColecoVision has them so this is not um completely uncommon 
but in, in the world of the cocoa, it probably is. This might be a first, right? Um, so kind of understanding. Yeah, it'd be cool to have like a tablet charger or something that actually is you're doing a fairly decent voltage and average. But it w- wouldn't it be really cool too where on the back of your cocoa, all you had was like a USB input. You don't need that big-ass power supply inside the case. Just put a USB receptacle there, plug it into a wall charger, and then boom, there's your cocoa. That would be kind of cool, you know. Yep. And, and it makes it more portable because, I mean, you can get, you know, USB chargers in your car. Or... Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but you also remember, USB chargers are only 5 volts. And while it's true, the um, uh, design with the multi-pack, you don't need the uh, 12 volts. Peripherals, some of them still need the 12 volts. Yeah. So, yeah like the X-pad yeah. and some of the other stuff. Yeah. So you're going to need a multi-voltage supply for your multi-pack if you're going to replace it gotcha but it's yeah. a neat it's a neat idea so it's gonna be interesting mm-hmm. to see how this comes along yeah i'm interested in falling to see where it goes from here now i, I might blur into a, a screen here because we've got a couple things that i have ahead in the news that are going to be discussion topics i'll be saving those for later okay and if i accidentally click on one we'll just skip over it here so i'm, That's fine. I'm going to get the order right here Okay, next up, uh, Bill Gerritsen, and this is kind of in honor of uh, both the July 1st holiday in Canada and the July 4th holiday in the States, uh, a video of fireworks program. And now I put in the notes that he, he wrote on the Cocoa 1 and 2, but actually he later said that actually was from a hot, or actually not from Hot Cocoa itself, but the Hot Cocoa section of 80 Micro after Hot Cocoa, the magazine collapsed, and they merged it back into 80 Micro, which is actually where it spawned from in the first place. So it's one of those, you know, 87 area ones, but... Uh, I have no idea what the volume is going to be like in this one, so I'll turn down a little bit because it does have some explosion sounds. Cool. Can you guys hear that? Yeah. Fireworks simulator. Generate random data. Enter string data. Number of events. 300 events. Wow. Intensity. <laughs> Intensity of 32. Perform. That's way more than 11. Choo-choo. You guys hearing the popping sounds? Yeah. That's pretty cool. This is surprisingly good. I wasn't sure what to expect. That was really good. Yeah. I think uh, even if he flashes the screen white so you get that blink of the initial yeah. explosion type yeah. thing. Yeah. So. He's got different types, you know, the ones that shoot this, you know, just streamers and then nice use of the artifact colors, of course. Wouldn't quite have looked as good as Pal, but I mean, Pal's in those foreign countries anyway. So. Yeah. But I know there's some, um, in both Canada and the States, there's been some restrictions on fireworks this, this year in particular because of the pandemic. So this is a way to get around it. Just put it up on a projection screen TV and go for it. I like that. That's it's really like the neat. Yule log that you watch on the Yeah, video. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. You know, because everybody nowadays, when you go to fireworks, everybody's recording them on their phone. And then it's usually like on July 5th, you see all these memes that say, hey, let's look at the firework footage I caught on my phone last year, said no person ever. Right? So <laughs> <laughs> I just saw a meme that yeah. said, nobody's going to look at your cell phone video of fireworks. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, how many, how many, who's ever replayed any fireworks video they've ever taken? So and The worst uh, thing is, if you do record it like that, 
then you you're missing most of the fireworks out of the yeah, peripheral you vision because you you're busy watching your stupid yeah. screen there. So you lose the whole effect of the thing. Yeah, oh I my totally goodness, agree. that's totally that's agree. impressively good though. I've yep. I have not seen a fireworks demo on an eight bit system that simulated the whole fallout and all that kind of stuff. That's really cool. I've only seen one other one, and that's at uh, was it is it Crystal City or Xenix that has it? Is there okay okay? But as, as a Coco three like one, that's a... actually quite impressive. But on the Coco one and two, by far, that is the best. Yeah, and the little cracking noises. It's it's cool. So thank you, Bill, for uh, posting it up. I'm, I'm Ron DeVoe. I believe you'd asked him about seeing if he can actually post the program disk image itself, because I don't think that's one that's on the archive. So hopefully he posted it somewhere so the rest of us can share it, too. Very nice. He's, he says he couldn't for some reason. Okay. Well, if it's a technical detail, maybe we can help him do it, because I would like to get that program without having to type the whole darn thing in. He said he signed his rights away to it, but, I mean, is anybody enforcing that on Hot Cocoa? On Hot Cocoa? Um, well, Hot Cocoa was owned by Wayne Green, and Wayne Green's long gone, so All right. I don't think there's any issue there. Uh, by the power in, power invested into me from Lord uh, Nick Morota, um, I hereby undulate onto thee the proper Fort With ability to propagate and distribute said content uh, legally and guilt-free, therefore, till death do you part. Amen. Um, <laughs> that takes care of the ghost of Wayne Green. <laughs> no, Stevie's taking the burden. Yeah. Send all lawsuits to Stevie. Yet. <laughs> I can't find in uh, Google. Not valid in all fifty states. <laughs> Price participation may vary. Tax tag and title not included. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> And this one here, this is part of what um, Robert was or, uh, yeah, talking about early on the discussion of soldering, desoldering. Now, this wasn't the actual discussion article itself that was about this, but this is talking about the HACO desoldering vacuum. And you hardware guys, or Richard, sorry. Uh, you guys can you know explain exactly what the HACO desoldering vacuum is, but uh, Joey seems pretty happy with it. And I, some other people have mentioned it's a pretty decent quality one. Richard, can, I don't know if you can speak to that. Is that a good quality desoldering thing? Yeah, it is. It's it's you know it's it's uh, it costs a couple hundred dollars. Uh, I, I use a different one because I'm not a big fan of that pistol grip. You know that's the only the only bad thing about it. It is a big okay. bulky thing to wind around inside of a circuit board. Is it meant imagine, for more larger size board? Well, imagine going down a forty pin chip with that thing. You're gonna get pretty tired yeah <laughs> i use a similar device but the pump is in a box on the desk so the pistol grip itself is three ounces or something not heavy yeah and yeah i find that a lot easier these things just wear you out you can't aim anymore you start getting shaky you know hmm. it's okay it's just yeah hold so you could view it as a way of getting an exercise program as well then, right so you know, curls <laughs> with either Pop hand or... arms yeah. yeah that's why i like about the pace one it's a pencil type it's much easier to hold I remember when you're holding your soldering iron if you start to smell chicken you're doing it wrong right. <laughs> or burnt hair Reverse. Yeah. <laughs> it smells like chicken you're doing it wrong <laughs> This next one here is from Krista Mayu, who we actually we have had on the show as a guest before. Reverend of the Fuzzy. Videos. Yep. That is the guy. So he dug out an old newspaper report uh, from September of 1990 talking about Cocoa user groups and the fact that there was a couple started in the area 
that he lived. And there's a picture of him on the left there, um, actually showing a music program. But they ended up discussing how these user groups, like, you know, some of them had a fair number of users and some didn't get quite as popular. So the user groups actually worked together to do membership drives for the smaller clubs. And apparently it was a huge success. And they ended up, you know, between them all, they ended up with several hundred users um, from, you know, supporting each other. And I thought that was a really cool story because I know here, our user groups for the Cocoa were pretty spread out because our cities are fairly spread out. Like it's a three hour drive to the next city type thing. And it sounds like they were much more closer knit, but they actually started sharing you know, renting malls and stuff to promote the cocoa and promote the clubs and, 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 you know, sharing it between the user groups. So if somebody drove into the bigger city, but they had a smaller club existent in a smaller one, they would actually be there to tell the people that were in the big city mall to, you know, you have a local cocoa club you know, in your own area if you want to try it too. So I thought that was a pretty cool thing. And I, we didn't do that here. I don't know if you guys experienced that in any of your special interest groups or cocoa clubs back in the day. No, I don't remember any kind of drives drive up membership even for our own group it was just you got what you got is uh, that an amdeck I, monitor i have no idea i really don't remember i was just too young when we went to the silicon valley uh color computer uh club but uh i remember going there at dyson headquarters in santa clara california neat okay Ooh, yeah because here i mean our people. club our club had about 60 or 70 people at its peak, I think, for a population of 150,000 people in our city. I mean, the ones in Edmonton and Calgary were much larger. Um, the one that mentioned here that Christopher mentions, uh, who was the president of one of the groups at the time, they had, I think, about 50, 60 members themselves. That the small town near them, and only had 15, then they did a membership drive, and they had over 200 people come to this mall display and express interest in joining. Wow. And I know we did a couple mall things here, too. We did one at an art gallery. That didn't go too well, because the art gallery patron people are not the same type of people that you know screw around with tech especially back then but the ones we did in the mall we actually go we we gained a couple dozen members i think too and we had a big group one we had the uh commodore people we had the atari people we had the coco tier city people of course we arranged it to be right in front of the radio shack store so people could just go run over and check it out right away and buy it so radio shack was happy but they were loaning some extra equipment too so but uh, that one was quite successful so manager saw a marketing opportunity yep they actually gave, they actually lent us some software because they had some new software that had just come out that we hadn't even seen yet. We kind of pirated it, I guess, but, um, but we were demonstrating it off and we, we borrowed some of their speakers. Cause I remember Bill brought his symphony 12 there. So we, you know, we had somebody on the Atari ST, I think had some big mini thing cranked up through a couple speakers. So Radio Shack lent us bigger speakers and then Bill pumped it into a symphony 12 and just cranked it until, until we got complaints from the other mall come, you know, businesses around, but, uh, yeah, those, I, I kind of miss those days. It's kind of like having a Cocoa Fest. But In a mall. Yeah. Did by any chance was Tiffany singing I Think We're Alone Now while you guys were there? <laughs> Not that I remember. Okay. All right. Okay, next up, uh, Cocoa Crew Episode 61 came out. And this one here, I think uh, Neil was talking about Evan Wright's cartridge. So there's a review of his new game, uh, the port of the Sinclair zx81 game or zx81 depending on where you're from zed we all say zed <laughs> because it was produced in, in england i gotta pronounce it the proper way mm -hmm. um but it also has a pretty interesting discussion with paul fiscrelli and simon jonason um, who of course collaborated on the run dino run of a new sound routine that simon's working on using, using adpcm technology which is adaptive uh, pulse code modulation which is basically a way of in 
of, of doing samples, like most sound samples, if you take a look at them at the data level, they don't usually jump all over the place. It's usually just goes up a little bit or goes down a little bit as far as the, the bytes that you're reading in the sequence to jam out to the DAC. So what he's doing is something that the Windows ATPCM format and web does, which is basically it does a smaller number of bits and just tells it go up by a little bit or go down by a little bit. So in his case, he's doing, I think, minus seven to plus seven, and then he has a special value to get out of the, you know, saying the sample's done. So they have a long technical discussion on how all that works and the fact that you're basically compressing samples now to four bits each instead of six. So it cuts your memory requirements down. Um, and there's a little bit of a story a little bit later on because he actually just posted a video uh, of a new demo he's working on that actually is demonstrating this ADPCM uh, technique and what the sound samples, and this is actual digitized samples. This isn't just, you know, synthesizing waveforms for music mm -hmm. per se. This is actual digitized samples. You can use it for sound effects as well as music and whatever else. So that was a pretty interesting discussion too. So that one, I think if you're technically minded or into the music and, and sound parts of the Coco would be an interesting interview to listen to. From the mad mind of the mad man. Yep. Next up, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, Near Dairy, Near Dairy, something like that. But anyway, in the Dragon Group, he's actually been, there's an upgrade board from John Whitworth, I believe his name is. And it's a little plug-in thing that actually allows you to create your own ROM mask for your character set, which the VDG supports an external ROM chip. That's how the lower kits used to work by Dennis Kits, etc. So he's actually working on doing one in Hebrew. And if you can see in the middle of the screen here, let's this up a bit. He's oh, got the original cool. font on the top and then the uh, alternate font on the middle there. And you can see some of the Hebrew characters. So that's kind of an interesting take on it. How do and you this switch? Is How do you Sorry, switch? You... Oh, that, Hebrew first... reads from right to left to right. Right to left. Yeah, but this but this this doesn't but uh at least from what i remember those, those yeah keith robinson great. has a comment on that he says if you use inverting address buffers in a0 to a4 you will automatically get right to left character sequences so it sounds like a little circuit will actually do that if you want to to do it in hardware hmm. but yeah by default the vdg doesn't do that you're right and ron what was your question no question. Oh, okay. I'm wondering how he made the switch here because it's not like he's running any software to bring it up. So is there a toggle it's switch? It's like or... the uh, poke to do lowercase on the newer um, 6847. Yeah, I just don't see any pokes taking poke. place in the screenshot here. So unless this has been what spliced together, he, he goes from normal font to this font with no... Okay. Well, you might not, have it set up to be default. Yeah, that's not that important. Yeah. Just, just more of a curiosity. Or he's patched his basic or something. Just to, you hit shift zero instead of getting okay. inverse video. Maybe you get Hebrew or something. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, that, that might be. Okay. I mean, it's an interesting thing. I know that the lower kits by Dennis Kits, like he sold the, the, you know, the expanded characters that were wider and taller so they looked better and true lowercase. And sometimes they'd add, you know, certain extra fancy characters for games. And the Coco VJ is kind of taking that ball and run with it because now you can just load them on the fly. And Stevie, you've experimented with that, so it's along yeah. the same same lines. Neat. I like it though. Yeah, the NEC Trek used a uh, external font for it. Oh, okay. And that used a VDG as well. Yep. Yep. But they also had kanji and katakana chips, so that yep. they could actually display Japanese. Yeah, because it was actually more popular in Japan as the PC six thousand one. Oh, right. Yeah, that's the ones that High Retro Game Lord was just recently doing all the game videos for on YouTube. 
Uh, next up, David F. Gisbert in the Dragon Group as well actually put this up. This was an auction. And I can't remember what country code is ES. Spain. Spain? Okay. Yeah, Spain. So this is, and, and Spain, of course, took yeah. over the Dragon production after Dragon Dead in, in the UK shut down and got the rights to it. So this is a, a version of the Dragon 32 that had built in RGB output from the factory. This is not a hacked add on or anything else. This was an official release. Wow. Um, and I, most people, including the UK, hadn't even heard of that before. And I think he has a picture somewhere. Yes, documentation. So the uh, documentation right from Dragon itself said, and if you translate, socket for the monitor to connect the monitor and RGB color to. Hmm. And apparently it's very nice. But the, the circuit board is redesigned enough that apparently it's not an easy hack on. There's some external stuff that people have done otherwise, but this is actually right on the circuit board. David's actually from Spain. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, CCAM was... Paris too, isn't he? I, yeah, think, I think so, so. yeah. The CCAM was that that French that was the French like version of yes. NTSC or whatever. Yeah, French and Russian. Yeah. yeah. French. So obviously the circuit board design was modified a bit for that market, and then they actually got true RGB built right in, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So I mean, some of the people that have had issues getting you know certain you know NTSC or versus PAL frequencies and stuff, this might be a third alternative if you can find one that you can just plug straight into a you know an analog RGB monitor. So Coco one and two never had RGB ever, did they? Not without hacked hacked on add-on boards and stuff stuff. No. I mean the VDGs. I think if I remember, you guys hardware guys can tell me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe it had built-in composite that if you tapped right off some of the pins, you could actually get the composite directly out. Can you? Mm, sounds right. Um, something to do with the thirteen seventy-two, Mister yeah, Davis. Yeah, there's. It, that's correct. Uh, it's actually the schematic for getting uh, composite videos in the data sheet. So instead of having the 1372 um, uh, chip, you you don't really need that one. Uh, you just uh, replace it with a diode, and and then you can get video straight out of it. Okay. But yeah, as far as RGB goes, I don't know if there was ever an official RGB. Well, I know they're pretty sure there wasn't an official one, but I don't think there was too many RGB anythings for Coco 1 and 2s anyway. I think the VDG chip just shoved it out. Phase color. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it has just the uh, those three signals that um, they're similar to what's used on the original um, HDTVs that had the, the separate inputs. Okay. I think it's a small mod just to get it to output that. Yeah, Dave in the chat is saying he said you need the 1372 for a color composite. Okay. Oh, and then the last one for the regular news here is uh, the video I was you know, talking about before from the uh, Coco Crew uh, discussion on ADPCM where Simon has actually put up a brief video with sound. Let's hear it. It's not very long. And he said he's not releasing source on this until he's done.
cool. A lot of bass. Yeah. All about that bass. <laughs> now, the nice thing is there, I mean, we've, we've seen demos, like I've even played the full Coco Talk theme and stuff, but the thing is there, because he's actually written, writing this stuff to run under Disk Basic, he's got very small disk space to work with. So using this new compression technique, well, not new, but new to the Coco at this point, of compressing the samples down from what it would normally take and getting the quality pretty well just to, to what is good. He's actually playing, I think he said at 11 kilohertz, which is faster than most of our samples usually do uh, for if you want background stuff happening at the same time. But it's also fitting onto a 160K or 153K disc. You know, the, the program, the graphics itself, and the sound samples. So you can do some pretty cool stuff with that. Yeah, that's neat. And part of that is part of that because of some of the tools that Paul Fiscarelli was working on that help him pass that yeah, data. Paul, if you if you listen to the Coco Crew interview with them, they've actually got some tools where you can literally drag a sound sample into it, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, and it'll actually create all the FCB statements. You can mm -hmm. embed the actual sound right into your code. Yeah. In, in ADPCM 4-bit format. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and luckily for us, because we're on Discord a lot and Paul's on too, we've seen some of this before. So, and Paul has shown us some sneak peeks of some of these tools. Um, but not everybody in the world has seen or heard or known about that. So, it's good that, that the words don't get out officially about all of this. Um, and I think I'm, I'm not speaking out of place here, but I think the big picture is short term, the tools are really helping uh, people like Paul Thayer get games done. But long term, these tools are going to be for everybody in the community to use. So if you want to build, you know, they're working on sprite compilers. I remember him showing us that and these these wave converters and all these things. So all these tools that Polly Walnuts Fiscarelli is working on to help Paul Thayer and Simon, and Simon Jonasson work on these games that they're doing. We're all going to benefit from that in the end when they become public, you know. So it's very cool stuff. We've got some brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people. I've said this a million times, fantastic people, incredible community, doing amazing things. Uh, color computer, greatest computer. Always said it's a fantastic computer. So, yeah, cool stuff. So, neat, neat, neat. Thank you, yep. Curtis. Was that the end of the news? Yeah, I, well, I had a couple more stories, but because they've become discussions. They're going to become discussions, yeah. And, all right, so how about we do, let, let's, how about let's keep it rolling. Let's just roll on into game news, um, and we'll okay. do that. Let me just uh, get things switched around here. I'm just going to clear off some of these other windows when I bring it back for the discussion. I don't keep clicking on the wrong stuff. Yeah, because I got steaks I need to grill tonight, so we can't be doing this crap show all freaking day, all right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got to take off it a little bit, too. I got ribs cooking, man. Oh, that sounds good, Ronnie. What's I'm that? sure um, Michael will be here because he's still asleep in the news segment, so he'll be here while. <laughs> And my mouth's making tater salad. Tater? What kind of tater yes. am I, Ron? Oh, I can <laughs> tell you. Dick. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are bad. <laughs> Stevie looks all jovial on air, but we can tell you stories. Oh, that's... <laughs> okay. Nah, he's a good guy. The right window here. I got too much stuff open. Yeah, we'll just we'll just wait around, Curtis. Take your time. <laughs> nobody's got, any, nobody, nobody's got anything to do. 
Oh, I mean, it's not like it's a big holiday for you. <laughs> Evan Wright. Trader is colonists and stuff. Evan, so, Evan uh, Wright says, I have to clean the fire extinguisher residue off my grill today. <laughs> <laughs> I also need a new fire extinguisher. <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> Any of you guys knocking down some uh, alcohol? No. Oh. Statues. Oh, no, no. Uh, not, not lately. No. Matter of fact, if if I may be so bold, I've recently yeah. erected a statue of David Ladd, and I said erect. Okay, so we're going on to gaming news at this point. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you have to like put a cape over its head so it doesn't blind the pilots when they, as they drive by, fly by, uh, cause a hazard? I imagine the gleam off that would be almost as bad as a laser pointer yeah. right in the eyes. <laughs> Touchdown, <laughs> Usborne computer game. Yeah, so this is of course our weekly Jim Gary segment. Um, he's, so he's got a video of his MC10 port. Uh, what's the volume? This probably too high. I can't remember if he's got these little, you know, awesome digitized MC10 sound going or not. So basically, this is MC10 port of the game Touchdown, which is kind of Ooh, a, a lunar lander. junior lunar lander type thing, uh, based on the computer book Space Games, published by Osborne. And uh, so he does a demonstration of this one here playing. And apparently, it's very fussy on landing because he crashes like five times in a row. Well, he wrote the damn thing. You couldn't think you could wrote it. Well, a little... he ported it. He didn't write it. Remember, so. <laughs> That's totally different. That's... Most of the ones I tried playing were horribly ter- sensitive. Um, yeah, yeah. It's Usborne with a U, not an O. Yeah, there all you dead. Go. You know, that's that's pretty well. You know how it plays. I'll fast forward here because I think he actually did land the last one correctly. Well, he just landed the first one. Well, in in pieces, yeah. If the screen goes red and it says <laughs> you're all dead, then it's usually not a good landing. Oh, I thought it was good. Okay. And it randomizes the bottom a little bit, too. It draws some random gibberish, yeah. and then it draws a flat area to land on. But you have to have your velocity, like, extremely low to land. And there like he actually safe. did it. Congratulations, All right. Jim. All right, good. Good, Jim Gary. From Usborne, computer game. Uh, Touchdown. Yeah. I, actually, I think he meant so Osborne. So this, is, this, is uh, this is not a football game, then? No. No, it's with a U. <laughs> Usborne, with a U. I have the link for the free books also. I'll post it. Usborne. Ooh, as, look at that. Look as at Nick Morota was talking about earlier, the Neil has started shipping the cartridge versions of Bomb Threat. I know several people have gotten them. I just happened to pick one here from Wayne Aaron. Very nice. He's received package. I know Al Hartman, I don't know if he's received his yet, but I know he's ordered it. And there's a few others I think have actually posted pictures of receiving it. So it's it's shipping. Just in time to take part in the game on challenge. And how long is it now, Nick? Three weeks. It's in three weeks. And people have been receiving their cartridges in under a week. So there's still plenty of time. Is yeah. that on both sides of the border, too? Uh, I know in the U.S. Yeah, I got mine in about a have. week. I ordered mine last week, and I got it uh, yesterday. Oh, maybe all the shipping issues we were having between the two countries has actually started to tone down. Yeah. Then. I think he's Good. using UPS instead of the, the, the USPS. So that could be why, too. Oh, okay. It's actually fast. courier shipping them. Does that, does that cost more than for him? I wonder to ship. Uh, it was ten bucks. I got two cartridges delivered. Ten bucks, which wasn't bad. Okay. Hey, next up, uh, Lee Perkins has been converting a PC game, and the name of it escapes me at the moment. So the we I think we showed this last week, but the top picture here is the actual PC version of it, the MS DOS game, uh-huh. and then this was his very first conversion of just raw converting the graphics without setting up palettes. So he added a video here this week, and he's got two versions. The first one's really slow, um, so I'm not going to play that one. Uh, but he actually fixes the palette up, and now he's got this one here, which actually is faster, and it kind of loads, shows you loading up the game actually on the Coco 3 itself. 
think he said he used a game screen. I should say use like eight. He did an eight K chunks or something like that, right? Yeah. Is it playing? Have you hit play? I'm not sure. It doesn't look like it's moving. It's frozen for us. Oh, is this that stupid thing when you maximize? Sometimes it. Yeah. Okay, can you see it now? I can see it now. Little thing. Okay, I'll have to be small then. That's that's what she said. Uh, All right, so yeah, boom, screen is clear. Yeah, it's loading pretty quickly. So he loaded the entire screen. Now, does he do hardware scrolling on it, or is that just showing that he's no, got the data? No, that's just to show the screen okay. conversion from the DOS version. Okay, yeah, it looks looks. And just as identical. a point of reference, this is what it used to load like. Yeah, slower. Yeah, like a line <laughs> at a time. Yeah, it looks like it's like it's. If I wanted to be a cruel bastard, I would just have played that one and let you guys yeah. see through it. But yeah, it looks like it's doing a bite you know, at a time. Yeah. I'm being nice because it's a holiday. We're downloading it at 0.3 baud. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this next one, this one just showed up recently, too. I think it was either last night or today. And then this one actually has me pretty excited because it's pretty cool. Uh, Parasurat, of course, is famous for doing the AGD ports um, from the Spectrum. And he's had that out now. It's over 200 games converted. And he's been working on the WordPack 2 Plus version. And last time we played one of the samples, it was showing the new graphics. But the sound was still using basically the same, you know, six-bit DAC sound that we've had for years and years. So now he's actually using the sound chip, the AY chip. In it. So this video is going to show the new enhanced graphics from, I think it's a TI chip or something. I can't even remember. Okay. And then he's got the new sound chip enabled now with both sound effects and music. Ooh, now how much would you pay? But wait. Oh, are you guys seeing that? There, yeah, we see it. Yeah. And this one, it's only 56 seconds. So I'll just play the whole darn thing. Play the whole darn thing. Maybe slow it down so we can enjoy it. Ooh. Man, that animation's good. It looks like Pickle Rick. Look at him. Diamond geezer, huh? You gotta look out for the skull. Oh my god, this opens up a whole world of gaming on the Kalor computer and Dragon. Yeah, because this is a Coco 1 and 2 level machine. This here. is uh this, this is actual real Kalors. And that one cartridge, the Word Pack 2 Plus, actually has the sound chip and the new graphics chip. Yep, I want one of those cartridges. So it's a one-shot deal and you just plug it in and go. Diamond Geezer. Yeah, the animation is really good on this guy. Yep. Look out for that no skull. CPO loss. You know, doing you know full music in the background. Stuff, yeah. So. If only the Coco had a sprite chip and a sound chip and hold my beer. Here it is. We got graphics. <laughs> we got sprites. We got colors. We got sound. So now well, I think this cartridge is seriously starting to show itself as being a competitor to the Coco VJ in some ways. Now, obviously, because one's a cartridge and one's an internal, you th- technically could have both. Yes. In the same system at the same time. So if you wanted to write something for like the higher graphics modes on the VJ and the replaceable character sets, you could. Or you could plug this in and then you have your own, you know, sound and yeah. uh, sound effects plus you know, better graphics. And obviously well. this this must have its own output. So probably composite out on this. I believe so, yeah. And, and is it monaural out or is it stereo out? I believe it's mono. Okay. Now two more questions. Uh, number one, uh, does it include a real-time clock? No, I mean, this is the one bit disappointing uh, thing. Okay, None what, of these things come with real-time clocks. What clock, about so blinky wrong. lights? Are there any blinky lights on this? I think you could program them in now. Okay, very good. Those so, are all features for Word Pack 3. <laughs> Word Pack 3. Right? Uh. <laughs> all right, very cool. So, yeah, I mean, this is the thing, right? You, you, Everybody says the 6809 is a great CPU, and, of course, then we have to deal with the fact that we don't have sprites, we don't have colors, we gotta, we got to invent the wheel with graphics engines. But here it is. You got all the chips. You got the sound chip, the graphics chip. 
now let the seat like let the 6009 do some awesome stuff right so yeah man, this i mean amazing. these are agd games these are not top tier games that you could do with this new hardware right but still they look great it looks yeah. and sounds like a real freaking game yeah, and basically, like, if you actually pushed it, like, if you did your three-voice music, plus you'd use the channel for sound effects, plus you use these higher graphics modes, and you got all this extra support in the hardware doing this stuff in the background for you, you could make some arcade games that you couldn't even imagine, except maybe on a Coco 3 at this point. All right. As far as speed goes. I mean, Coco 3 has some extra CPU speed, which helps, and you've got, you know, better timer interrupts to do background sound and stuff. But even that does take a lot of time, so you're still limited. Mm. Oh, we have we have a very important question from Jason the Coco Man. He wants to know, does it have a toggle switch at all on this word pack? Uh, what, 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 are you, what are we toggling there, Jason? <laughs> word pack three. Word pack three, okay, so that'll be on there. <laughs> on versus off, obviously. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now okay. this next one, I will let Robert Allen Murphy talk about because it's his blog. Okay. So uh, I will keep it on screen. If you want me to scroll or anything, just let me know. Um, well, okay. Uh, so I posted up uh, another update about the game that I'm porting from the NEC PC 6000. It's an alien movie-based survival horror game. And the left screenshot there is from the actual game. And then on the right is one attempt at making it into SG4. So this last month, I spent a lot of time in a bunch of different grab bag parts of working on the game itself. So I got some initial early uh, success, I guess, on getting an RG6 screen or what they call P-Mode 4 screen up and running. And I got a gimme screen up and running. So I started trying to, you know, see if I could do something real. And of course, no. I uh, spent the rest of the month beating my head against all kinds of different shortcomings in my original code. So I ended up doing a lot of code cleanup. And I also spent the month working on the next big component chunk of it, which is audio. And uh, good gravy, there are so many audio options for the color <laughs> computer. Going back to the original 1980, one of the things I was interested in was figuring out how one-bit audio worked. So I spent some time doing that. And then I started going through all the different audio cards and looking at how to get music and sound effects from the original game converted over and along the way ran into a whole lot of interesting stuff so i'm trying to collect those up as separate articles and post those elsewhere as i get it organized but it looks like in some some of the folks i've talked with uh it looks like there might be a way to come up with like a note table driven way to have multiple audio drivers that all can be triggered individually using the same high-level note data. So the original game was programmed for something like the Coco PSG or the Speech Sound Pack sound chip, which is the General Instruments AY38910. And I was able to get the Speech Sound Pack somehow to generate the same game noises that came out of the original NEC game. So I was kind of happy about that. And I realized how horrible the Speech Sound Pack is to program. <laughs> so I have nothing but respect for folks like Steve Bjork and uh, the, the, the folks back in the day that managed to get that thing to do anything in the middle of actually trying to run a game. But it was kind of cool to hear the original game audio because uh, I don't have the actual NEC machine. I'm working specifically from emulators. But it was cool to hear the original game audio 
but coming out of a cocoa base machine rather than the original thing. So uh, there's a whole lot more to do on the audio side. There's a whole lot more to do on the graphics side. And this coming month, I'm looking at going ahead and making it um, interactive. So I've been able to bring up screens and I've been able to make sounds, but now it needs to start bringing together into a loop. And I'm already having some, after some initial difficulties, I'm finally having some success doing that. So yeah, uh, part of this blog, the idea is to show that, you know, it's a lot of blogs today on the web are more like, here's what we got done and it's all promotional and it, you don't hear about any of the bad stuff. But one of the things I've seen from the Coco community blogs and the Coco community development is more of the real, this is how bad it can be sometimes. And you know, here's what you can do to power through. And so that's what I'm trying to show as well with mine is that, you know, you, you do keep making progress if you just keep coming back to it. And there can be all kinds of missteps, but even the missteps can have value later in that you've learned something, you've acquired a skill, and then you might not be using it in your current project, but you can at least document it for others to learn from, or you can build it in a way that you might be using it later. So I'm trying to throw that into this as well. So that's what this month was, was just a lot of different little blocks. Yeah, and I mean, Nick Morendi's has done that too, because he's gone through where he's, you know, he's gone one down one direction for a game and you'll see updates for like, you know, three or four blog posts. And then all of a sudden he finds out, you know, this isn't going to work. And yep, he backtracks and, that's just and part goes of the down process. And, you know, people get, you know, when, with basic, one of the things I found is it's very easy to just, oh yeah, you, you knock something together, you, you debug on it for a bit, but you're, you're able to get something fairly rapidly that, Assembly, on the other hand, you you will have you'll have to learn patience. That sometimes <laughs> it just takes a while before you even get some little tiny drip of progress, and so that's that's kind of what I'm trying to show as well. And some of the feedback that I've gotten privately about these particular posts have you know hopefully I'm getting that out there and people seem to have appreciated it. So uh, yeah, but like anything else, if you do bother to read through all this, there's a lot of walls of words there. I do try to put pictures up so that it's not just 100% text. Um, but uh, if you do have questions or whatever, I'm on the Discord. Um, there's other ways you can get a hold of me through the site as well. So yeah, there was me playing with uh, what the original cover looked like versus trying to get it working with Color Max Deluxe, which is very cool. I'll probably be using that in the final. Uh, there, there it is on my actual Coco 3 showing. That looks so, cool. Yeah, you've changed the palettes a little bit there, so. Well, the that's the palette that MGE Disp the, that particular tool uses by default. The uh, original file has the full palette in it. I just got to write the decoder and put that up myself. I was using a, a, a downloadable tool to just say, oh, yep, here's the file and now it can be displayed. So. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty cool project and you're actually making it so it's going to have Coco 3 modes, Coco 1 and 2 modes. So no matter which machine you have, you can play it and then you get enhancements on the Coco 3. All so. part of the learning. Yeah. And like I said, Nick, Nick's been really good about doing that. I think he's one of the first Coco uh, game developers that actually started doing these blogs like way, way back. I mean, we've even seen Nick start off and, and do like, you know, 10 blog posts over a couple months and then totally abandon the game entirely because he just decided, you know, it's going to take too much RAM and I want to keep it in the, you know, 512K and under market so that it, it can be sold to enough people to warrant all the time. Like his uh, big Zaxxon style game that he did i can't remember the name of it if nick's still on he can probably allude to it somewhat i'm hoping you'll actually might get back to that someday because now that two meg is so common from yeah. you know people from boys right. in tech and, and mark 
and the fact that we're pushing it like crazy on nitrous nine too because it just makes things so much faster and easier that uh, maybe he'll get back to that i think the market's big enough to warrant it now that'd be really cool to see the first two make game yeah and that's one of the things i chose this particular game to try doing a, as a coco assembly thing is that the original game itself is fairly simple and straightforward it's a, a 6847 text-based game it's just using that custom font capability that the nec had on top of a chip that we're familiar with so you can see there there's little uh, japanese characters next to the time code things like that and i've recreated those in on the coco 3 uh, just like that so that's kind of fun as well but the game itself is not so huge that someone with my complete lack of skill has no chance of ever managing to finish this i think it's within my grasp if i just keep at it and the fact that you mentioned this is actually a vdg chip just with the remap font and stuff means this would be also be a perfect project for the coco vga where you could duplicate the font literally and and when I get one, which is in the uh, in the ordering phase right now, I'm waiting for there's more being built. built. Uh, but yeah, that's my plan is I'm going to put the VGA in my Coco 2 and you know actually just put the font right on it and take back all that time that I'm having to spend drawing a high res screen. And you know P mode four is not that bad to draw on, uh, but if you could have the hardware doing it for you, it, it suddenly gets a whole lot more like programming a 6502 on a C64. You know, you just basically are a high level director and you have all the hardware doing all the hard work. Yeah, because basically like all these little graphic shapes, you have to draw like, you know, like eight it's to 12 lines of pixels to draw one on a P mode four, where it's just, you know, one character. That's all you got to do on the. Yeah, and I'm doing it as eight by 12 tiles, just like the Coco VGA would be doing in hardware with a hardware counter clock and, you know, directly reading the memory. I'm having to transfer it all through the CPU. That looks hey, it's neat. cool. Keep, keep us posted on that. Go ahead. Yes, it looks oh, neat. And that's it for the Game On News. All right. Fantabulous. Fan freaking tastic. Fan freaking tastic. Thank you. Um, all right. So, how about we take a commercial break? Then we're going to come back and we have another panel discussion that. Um, that came up on ah, think, time to wake up. Facebook this week about what what's <laughs> what software systems did you use regularly back in the day? So maybe we'll talk about that after the break. So we'll be back. Thank you, Curtis, for all the news. So we'll be back. We will return after these messages. Coco Talk is brought to you in part by Placeblex Dietary Supplement. Placeblex, we think it works. So will you. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. Oh, I remember that Christmas. Dad gave me my first shortwave radio from Radio Shack. What memories. This Christmas, we got our son's Color Computer 3 from Radio Shack. It hooks right up to our TV and was on sale for less than $130. The Color Computer 3 makes learning fun. Jimmy even lets me use it for word processing. When he isn't playing computer games. Lucky I still got my shortwave. Save $70 on the sale-priced Color Computer 3, only at Radio Shack. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Strope. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter, stolen by the evil wizard. 
Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. This is Ken Reichard, author of Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. And you're experiencing... Coco Talk? Just when you thought it was safe to go back to Coco Fest. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Coco Fest Edition? Still low resolution, still digital to analog converted sound. More machine language. And basic. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Now includes the power of Terry to clear the road ahead. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Available as a DVD-ROM with all my past games as an alleged bonus. Including my unreleased fourth Rainbow Adventure contest entry. Unreleased for a reason. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Get your physical or digital copy at cancanmakeit.com. Now you've really paid too much. Nick Marionette on Electricity. Crikey! Electricity's a fan. The big market is with open flame. Brought to you by Nitro Stein, Ease of Use Edition. Hashtag OS9 Forever. And we're back, and during the break, we were joined by the madman himself, Simon Jonasson, and we, I don't know if you caught it, Simon, we were showing off your sample routine video that you just posted recently. Sounds wicked, mate. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I didn't catch it in time. Ah, the low end on that came through really clear, too, man. It had some really bumping bass in there. Boom, dong, yeah. dong, 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 Yeah, I was really digging that. So, but stuff. yes... But it's a work in progress because I'm gonna I'm gonna put something on top of that. I'm gonna amaze you even more. <laughs> ah, <laughs> but wait, there's more. Yeah, uh, but wait, there's more. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Is yeah. this this year's official demo for the Coco Three then? Or? Uh, no, that's just that's just a COVID thing. It's just get my head out of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. You and Paul are doing some amazing work, my friend. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, are you pressed for time? Are you going to be able to hang out for a little bit? Me? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Okay, all right, cool. So we were going to, well, maybe you can join us too, because what was the discussion, Curtis, on what did you use regularly back in the day? Is that what the... Yeah, I mean, the discussion originally started out as to, like, um, one of the people there, Jim McClellan on Facebook, had actually picked up a DMP-105 that works, and he was wondering, what's an acceptable word processor for the Kogo 3? And also, was there any decent print shop type programs? And uh, then start people starting doing Coco One Two suggestions. And then there was also some discussions on well, you know, speaking of serious software, what other software did you use back in the day in the Coco regularly? Um, you know, some musicians might have used you know Musica or Lyra or Ultimuse or something like that. So I was just like wondering what did stuff use? People also talk about using DeskMate and other things too. 
And I think this was also the Coco Crew had a, a section on that as well. So, you know, what what software did you use back in the day to be productive on your Coco as opposed to just playing the games? And that was I thought that was a pretty interesting concept of merging all those talks together into like you know best word processor, best you know desktop publishing, and also just generally serious apps. What did what did people use back in the day? I have a short answer. I never did, nor never will, do anything serious on my Coco. Next. <laughs> uh, what is that? What are you say? holding up there, Rick? Dynastar. You're muted, Rick. We can't hear you, Rick. You're muted. Your lips move. Yeah, this this is uh, when I click the button, I can say I had Dynastar, Dynaform, and Dynaspell. So everything Connect ever did in manuals, every column I ever wrote for 68 micros, all that stuff on a Cocoa using Frank Hogg's $150 for a Cocoa program. That's expensive. But hey, it worked. Well, then I got Sculptor, and that was like four fifty. So, wow, was, Sculpt uh, Sculptor was huge. That was a relational database that was cross-platform, right up to thirty-two bit systems. That was a huge. They they said SQL, but it wasn't really. But yeah, I loved writing forms in that. It it worked out really well. But mainly Dynastar. It it it's a very good. You can run it over the serial port, and it works right. And yeah. Yeah, because you could run on 80-column terminals if you had them plugged in and stuff, too. Yeah. Maybe was it based on WordStar? I'm trying to remember. Is that one or was it ScreenStar by computer? One of them was a WordStar clone. Uh, it, was, it isn't a WordStar clone, so it must be the other way around. But um, anyway, I lost my track. Alexander Wallace says he used Max 10 and Coco Max 3 on a Rainbow Star Micronics. That was a color... Uh, dot matrix printer, right? Yep. Yeah, it was a three-color ribbon dot matrix, if I remember, 24-pin, if, uh, if I remember correctly. Alexander Wallace is also mentioning Dynastar 128. I'm not familiar. Yep. I had no interest in word processing back in the day, honestly. I, I did very little utility So when, type when you were stuff. in high school, Stevie, and you were doing, like, book reports and all that kind of stuff, what, what did you use? Probably wrote them out. Notebook oh, paper. Yeah. You Luddite. Yeah, yeah, that was word processing on your essays was one of the cool things to. Do. I never yeah. owned I, a printer. I used Telewriter sixty four back then. Yeah, I never word owned print. a printer. Scripts it. Scripts it. And yeah. then then you change your margins a bit and the font, not the font, but the margins a bit to make it longer and stuff. A double, yeah, double spacing. triple space it so you get yeah. more pages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Drip desktop. Everybody thought you were a tech guru bit doing back. Yeah. Like, oh, you print! Wow, this is impressive. You get an A. No, I mean, I, I used to charge kids <laughs> to actually. I would they'd give me the handwritten ones, and I'd type them in and print them out of my printer because I was one of the people that had one, and I would charge them for it. So that was a way to make money. I mean, every piece of hardware I bought, I had to buy myself with my own money I earned in my part-time job. So my priorities were not about printing or reporting. I could tell you that much. I wasn't going to drop a <laughs> couple hundred dollars on a freaking printer to impress some freaking teacher that I gave zero I do remember, about. <laughs> I do remember back in the day, because of the way that printing was formatted, you sometimes would rewrite sentences just so the paragraph would look better once justified. Ah, because okay. you couldn't justify pixel by pixel. There was yeah, it was uh, big, right. yes, big wide spacing, gaps yeah. words. So yeah, I rewrote a lot of things just to make it look okay when it was printed. okay. I mean, it's something we do now all the time that we take for granted: word processing, spreadsheets, yeah, all these things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then back then, as a kid, that was not a that was not a priority for me. 
What about Brian Schubring? You've been using a lot of Cocoa software. What was what were some of the real programs you used back in the day, Brian? I uh, started off with scripted, otherwise uh, with uh, Dynastar uh, and such. And, uh, of course, a lot of Ultramuse. I was doing a lot of music there. That was pretty much uh, what I did and occasionally profile when I needed to do some database stuff. Hmm. Neat. Rondell Vaux, being a longtime Tandy user, what were some of the serious programs you used back in the day? Uh, Coco Max, Coco Max 3, uh, Color Max, uh, VIP Desktop, Deskmate 1, Deskmate 3, um, lots of stuff. I used um, uh, a program, KDisk, to do... Uh, you know, disk utility stuff, and um, gosh, there was all kinds of stuff. Uh, I, I tried all different kinds of software, you know, and, and experimented, and and was always doing drawings, and I did stuff for my business with, you know. Did you do any of the accounting and stuff for your business too? On uh, my Google? wife did. My wife did. We, I think we used Color Accountant for a little while. Hmm. Remember that program? I remember advertising, I never saw it, but. Yeah, she tried that. And um, she would use, uh, in VIP, there was a spreadsheet. Yeah, VIP calc. Yeah. yeah. And the thing about VIP was you could, you could use other screen resolutions in whatever you used, whether it was the, you know, the COM program or the spreadsheet or the um writer and do you do much with packet radio and astronomy stuff too because i know you're interested in that stuff now but did you use uh, that back in the day or we used we did uh wefax which was uh on shortwave and um not astronomy not hardly any astronomy stuff on in uh, early um pc stuff there was uh, a couple of programs we used for um, some astronomy stuff. We back in the day, I got a CD on astronomy programs. They were, you know, text-based and had to do with um, uh, predicting where the planets were and things like that. But uh, yeah, the cocoa lacked in the area of astronomy. Although yeah, Planet Engine came out a bit later, I guess, and I don't yeah. know if you saw it before. I put it on YouTube. No, I did not. And um, what I did was I made uh, astronomy observing sheets uh, with a circle. You know, I, I made like a master, and then I could print them out and then take them with me out to the telescope, and I'd, be, I'd draw um, either sunspots or, you know, planets. I'd show where the moons were and stuff like that, and then write down all the information because it'd be a form, you know, it'd have the date time, uh, whether it was cloudy or not, stuff like that. So that was the, you know, many, many different uses. Hmm. I, I used the machines. I, I've used the color computer from when I got mine in 83 on. Even when I had my um, PCs, I would still use it. It was fun. Still fun. In fact, hmm. I'm thinking, you know, we should do a commercial where uh, the same guy that um, got his kids, you know, the cocoa, and, um, you know, where she says, uh, help me with my stuff. Yeah, right. You know, maybe they should, we should do a one later on where he's uh, 
guess what I got at eBay? <laughs> <laughs> this room is full of stuff I just bought. You know, <laughs> take a look. Oh my god, Michael Furman, did you use real utility programs back in the day? Oh yeah, um, I used uh, Skipset, and I still have a couple of the discs. I have a uh, like disc called Bird Report, Admission Report that I did sometime in the in the early mid '80s on the color computer Skipset, um, and I I had uh, things like Graphicom that I used some. Uh, I like using uh, Mac Paint. Uh, and I also, cause you know, sort of crazy programmer kind of people, we had OS nine level one and I would fart around with the C compiler a little bit, even, even I think a little bit, a little bit later, but, uh, yeah. Um, a lot of the software that I actually have the disc for, you know, other than those that I mentioned, uh, they were either <clears throat> copied from the back of the, uh, you know, color, the color computer users group, um, or, um, or backups, actually backups. a guy at the, yeah. <laughs> um, there was a guy at the, uh, we have an electronics flea market that's been going on for a very long time. Um, obviously it's not, they've been canceling it because the Santa Clara County won't let them operate, but there was a time where there was a guy that was um, basically he picked up lots of software, I think, from auction from school districts. So he had like Atari, uh, like Atari 800 stuff and color computer stuff. So, you know, I bought hardware and software. I, I'm pretty sure I picked up a real, uh, I don't have my discs right now, but I'm pretty sure I have, I actually got Ghana Buona. Uh, I may. I think I remember seeing the actually seeing the comic book for that in person. Neat. So. Neat. Who else used some stuff back in the day? What was your go-to? Mark Bosley, did you do any? Oh, Curtis Boyle? L. Curtis well, Mark Boyle? can go first. Did I, I, mine not be long. Mark? <laughs> well, judging from, the, <laughs> judging from the disc collection I have, uh, apparently I used a lot of uh, either DS69 or the uh, Telerator 128 back in the day. Hmm. And a lot of yeah. OS 9 discs. And did you print? Did you have an actual printer? Yes. Um, <clears throat> I've had uh, <clears throat> excuse me, several over the years, including a uh, daisy wheel printer that uh, you basically had to pour a slab of concrete to put it on. Wow. Uh, I just found printers to be so expensive, and I had very little, myself, personal interest in printing anything. That. Uh, well, yeah, I think I've had a couple of tandy printers but then later it was like you know it never really occurred to me because this is something that we would probably do now but like it never occurred to me that maybe type something up at home and then bring it into radio shack and print it there when i was working at radio shack because i was in college when i was working at radio shack i could have used one of their printers or something and i just never thought about that so um you know for what it's worth one of the reasons I like Dynaform is because it was so easy to set up a new printer because every printer I had was its very end of life thing that I had got a hold of. <laughs> and I may have to change printers at any moment. Yeah. So that was a boon. Neat, 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 neat. Yeah, I do remember Switch using Graphicom 
we bought Graphicom from our computer club. They, it was distributed there, and we did buy legitimate copies. Um, and I had a friend of mine that we collaborated a lot of stuff on. So he did more of the artwork than I did, but he would design a bunch of images. I would get copies of the artwork he did, and then I would write demos to animate a lot of the stuff that he that he would draw up, spaceships and planet surfaces and things like that. So I guess that would be a tool, but that was a tool we used to for entertainment purposes, not for like serious stuff, you know. But uh, now, that's the only thing that comes to mind. Did you have this special dual joystick set up for Graphicom? Honestly, I don't remember. I, d- I remember using the program. Like I just don't foot remember. Switch? No, uh, foot switch? No, they, they, they have two. They had, you had, in order to completely use all the features of Graphicom, you actually had to have two joysticks with a couple extra buttons. Uh, ours, of course, were homemade by, you know, the engineering of uh, Dad. But okay. um, no, I don't remember that part honestly. I don't remember. How I remember I you had that it. one. You had one little block. One joystick moved your sixty-four by sixty-four yeah. block around the screen, and then your other joystick moved within it, so you could actually get pixel precision. Even right. on the two fifty-six mode. Yeah. yeah, you had to use you had to use two joysticks, and it did support uh, a couple, couple extra buttons. That must have been a newer version than I I had because I don't remember that. Well, there's two versions of Graphicom too. There's Graphicom and there's also Graphicom Part Two, and I can't remember which one of which. Yeah, but Graphicom Part Two almost seemed like it was made by a completely different group of people because it was nothing like the original. Yeah, I don't know if it yeah. was the same author, or well, not, but I remember Graphicom itself was really neat and revolutionary. And Graphicom Two just seemed like they crowbarred something together. They borrowed the name. Yeah, I think it was distributed by the same company. That might have been okay. the only computized or whatever it was. Mm. Wasn't it Whitesmith? No, I don't know. I have no yeah, maybe not. idea. Uh, Nick Morenti says yes. Okay. Uh, Curtis. I think the later one was. I don't think Whitesmith was around when the first version of Graphicom came mm. out, from what I remember. But so Curtis says he's got a short list of uh, programs he used to. <laughs> I've, I've got a short list. <laughs> well, if anybody else has a short list, please go, go ahead. Me. Go ahead, James. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I used uh, VIP Writer a lot when I was in college and um, I can't remember of what kind of printer I had. It was a dual pass one and stuff. And, and uh, I was one of the few people that they would accept. I remember they would accept term papers from me because it looked, it was readable instead of looking like dots, but I, I wrote papers for two or three years on that before I switched to an Amiga and I had Graphicom, and I used that to design graphics for a few games. And let's see, I also had uh, Macro ADC, uh, the assembler editor package from Microworks. And um, I'm sure I had some other stuff, but that's that's what I can remember. Cool. Uh, Curtis, if you want to give us your laundry list, hey, Erico's out there. Erico says, uh, popping in just to wish you a great birthday and praise you guys for the show. We'll be catching up with you guys tomorrow. Cheers. Thanks, Erico, for stopping by. A lot of people, Rob Inman, a bunch of people chiming in of Telewriter64. Um, yeah, I think that was the premier one for the Coco one, too. VIP Writer would have been a close second, but for me, I actually did try both, and VIP Writer's keyboard reaction was too slow. It had keyboard type pads, so you didn't lose anything. But, I mean, Zip Writer, you just zip. Or Telewriter, you just zipped around the screen as quick as you could. Yeah, the, the uh, high-res graphics that they <clears> used to print it, it, it didn't render the characters that fast. Yeah. 
but it was it was it was very much more reactive than VIP writer. Unfortunately, that was the only reason yeah. I really stuck with it. Um, the Kogo three, I did use word power from 3.1, 3.2, 3.3. And by the end of that, it had a built in pop in calculator. You could just pop it up on the screen when you needed it. It had 128 column hardware scrolling for going for wider papers that you were writing. It used all 512K of memory. So if you wanted to write a term paper, it was like 400K, you could. Um, and then I got into OS 9, and that's where you know things went really went nuts. I, I had a CGP 220 printer, which is the color printer from Radio Shack, which I did my first ones. But like you know, some people were mentioning here, <clears throat> it looked really dot matrixy, even though it was in color. And it didn't look that good, so some people didn't accept it. But then I, I can't remember the name of the company that did it, but they actually had a ROM firmware upgrade you could plug into there. And it was a socketed ROM inside the printer itself. And it basically did double passes with a slight offset. So it was called like a bold mode. And all of a sudden it used a hell of a lot more ink, but it also solidified all the characters and made them look a lot better. The graphics sums were much brighter and crisper colors. So once I got that, that's when I started, you know, renting my services out to the local kids to get you know, their high school papers done. And I actually made a little bit of coin on that. So that was cool. Um, and of course, you guys have all heard the story many times of where Bill, me, Dwayne Downing, and a bunch of others, you know, set up the whole Cocoa system at work. Now, most of that stuff was custom written for the ticketing industry. So, you know, it wasn't commercial stuff, but there was some commercial packages we did use. So if we we're doing uh, text editing on the terminals, we use Scred, screen editor from the Tandy um, and Microware developer library, which is a word processor that would work on almost any terminal you could define your own terminals with what sequences did inverse video and cursor xy and everything else and we had i think three or four different terminals that were not compatible with each other whatsoever and it actually would work on all of them all you had to do is just do dash t equals the name of the terminal or we could hard code it saying we know this particular type of terminal is always on the t3 port so it's automatically going to fire up the proper version on there uh we used dynas calc i think for some spreadsheet stuff there was a utility in os9 that wasn't commercial, but it was a freeware project, our product that would convert DBase 3 files into quote comma delimited files. So we'd sometimes receive data in um, DBase 3 format and we'd just be able to export it straight out under OS 9 and start working on the files right away. Um, we've got, you know, zip files and stuff, and there was unzip utilities for OS 9. So of course, we could unzip them, we could unLHA them and all kinds of things on our ARJ. There was a bunch of, you know, decompression utilities back in the day. Uh, Keith Alfonso, who's actually still on the Coco uh, group on Facebook, but he's not active in the retro community anymore, but he did a whole bunch of stuff back in the early 90s. And uh, one of them was the AlphaSoft 2 BBS, I think it was called, which wasn't just a BBS system. It was a whole bunch of utilities he wrote to help support the BBS. And there's a ton of those we used. And there's a few we actually got permission from Keith to modify for work. Um, so we had a BBS sysop chat and we use that at work. So if anybody had to ask me or Bill a technical question, like, you know, why isn't this working? Or I can't find this or whatever, needed help. They could immediately ping us and we'd actually beep at us. So we'd hear it while even when we're on another window running printers or programming is ding, 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 ding. And then we'd switch over. Okay. What do you need help with? And, you know, sometimes we have to go down there and do something. He also had a multi uh, chat uh, program that basically did a conference room. And then you could link up all the terminals at once. And we also had a modem hooked up. So one of our quote unquote terminals was anybody could phone in from home. And sometimes we'd have to have a group conference and with text, you could you know, put in like, you know, specific spellings of things we needed to know about. So you couldn't really do it on a voice phone call. So we'd set that up and you can get up to nine people simultaneously chatting at once, including people that aren't even in the premises. So they would log in from remotely. The others would log in from the terminals around the building. Bill and I would be on the Cocoa itself. And it would actually have this you know, screen set up that we actually you know, tell you, say that so-and-so just sent this message, so-and-so sent this message, and you'd have a running conversation. 
uh, with nine people simultaneously on the Coco at once, which, I mean, at that time, the PC didn't do that kind of stuff very well. So, um, and then, of course, we, you know, commercial things like, you know, C compilers and assemblers and like RMA and OS9 itself, of course. <laughs> yeah. Nick Marentes is snoring, so you need to, you need to speed this up. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can add some more news and then Mikey can join me. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of us forgot uh, terminal programs. Oh, I I definitely forgot. Uh, <laughs> um, I used uh, Teleterm because we only had a Cocoa One. So yeah, there was um, a ton of good ones we had. I mean, I used Color Compact at first. That was the first one besides the one and, Rainbow. And Compact, but, but it was terrible. Compact sucked. Yeah, yes, Greggy Term. Greggy Term, Mikey Term. That was one of the Supercom. Yeah, Supercom oh. under OS nine or Ultima or KBcom Ult- Ultima, Ultima Term, term. Um, yeah, B Terminal, My yeah, B Term, the commercial package from Tim. Um, I'm looking at floppies today. Want to see what I just found? OS <laughs> <What's> term. term? <laughs> That's Von Kato's. That was an awesome. That one actually uh, was good because it actually had its own built-in BBS mode you could host. What does that Ricky. say? Oh, Ricky Term. Ricky Term. Rick Adams. That's oh, a Delphi terminal. KB-com? And then uh, if you look, if you Mikey if term. you look at the disk, what the disk actually is. IBM OS, IBM OS 2. 2.0. <laughs> but, but it's been oh, reformatted no. with uh, OS what is, 2. What is this disk actually? It says uh, printer disk number one. <laughs> anyway, it's got the Mikey term on it. And then Ricky term again, a Mikey term again, and Utiliterm. You guys are insane. Speaking <laughs> of uh, terminal programs, I, I recently uh, was posting on um, Ron's Garage that I found some text files and in there was uh, Richard Larbieski from 1990 and um, Chet Simpson and um, St- Steggy. Terry Steggy? Yeah. Wow. And so, and so I, I, I uh, sent each one of them their little um, blur- blurb that they talked about at the time and huh. said um, it's <laughs> funny we wait long enough and then it, it, they come around and hear their present here on the show and and they that show up name. in the, that 1990. Um, uh, Simon, did uh, did you use any utilities back in the day, Simon Jonathan? If mostly I was just about I didn't play games. So mostly I, the only thing I used was Ed Tasman cartridge. Okay. But it's really the only thing I used. I mean, um, my dad bought me my cook of two back in the day and i helped him program some stuff and we just took because we didn't have like um the cocoa magazines we just took like uh, normal magazines in the uk for any kind of computer be it spectrum be it commodore 64 god forbid (laughs) Um, (laughs) big 20 whatever um and we would adapt a program so we ended up making some programs where my dad would like index all his um tapes or his uh, records and stuff like that so but yeah we mostly just did it ourselves okay cool yeah i did create a handful of my own utilities as well for stuff for one because i was always just trying to work on a game or a demo or something like that so i wrote tools to help me do things i remember there was one time i didn't have any joysticks my joysticks broke 
again, I was a kid. I had to buy everything myself. And so since I didn't have joysticks and I wasn't able to buy new joysticks, I wrote my own poor man's graphic editing tool that worked on keyboards. So I had to, <laughs> I was working, I was working on designing a, all, all the graphics for a Donkey Kong style game. And I was doing it pixel by pixel using the arrow keys and the space bar to set the different pixels. But I actually had, <laughs> I'd actually come up with copy and paste stuff with, I could use get and put and draw a box and move things. I, I could draw half a picture and then mirror it on the other side, or I could flip things and stuff. So um, I had written a pretty useful graphic editing tool because I needed to get some graphics and I didn't have a joystick. So um, I've done things like that, you know. Um, so, and I think this this touches on something that's a bit more unique to the Cocoa world than some of the other eight bits of the time is that we had much more of a independent self-developing community where we didn't code commercially buy programs as much as some of the other platforms did or pirate them. We would actually <laughs> write our own. Yeah, like what Simon A lot of us saying, did yeah, that. I think yeah. proportionally more so on us, on our platform than on most other 8-bits at the time. Most others would just pirate, you know, I need a word processor, I need a spreadsheet, I need a graphics editor or whatever. What, what I loved was like uh, Musica had a program where you could play the file through the DOS prompt, right? So you could create a Musica sound composition and then there was a bin file that you could load and play that that song yeah. so what we used to do is i had my friend who would draw all the graphics and graphicom i would do all the animation and like i had a, a guy moonwalking backwards on the screen because he drew the frames and i had a guy moonwalk and then we would play musica's uh michael jackson song so it was just like we there was some and this is all stuff that i did in basic so, you know, the guy would draw the graphics, I would come up with the animation, and then I would play some music that I got. And I, I don't know where I got half the crap I got because there was no internet. It wasn't like we downloaded it, but I was able to get songs from Musica, and I don't know where the hell I got them, but I guess we got them from our clubs and things like that, copying them from friends. But, you know, I had a pretty good music library where I could do a demo and play. It wasn't playing in the background or anything, but, you know, I could do a homemade demo with a guy dancing and playing Michael Jackson music on the Coco. And it's all because we just figured out how to do it, you know, so... It was pretty neat. And, of course, there's another big one of using a commercial product that was still used up until recently. I don't know if they're still doing but the Glenn side, of course, was using DynaCalc to do all your, you know, logging into CocoFest, right? No, oh, yeah. Yeah, that really sped things up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Anybody else want to chime in? I don't want to deprive anybody, but we could probably go on forever, and it's probably going to become less entertaining and interesting the longer we go. But if anybody has anything else they want to chime in on, please feel free. Alan Murphy, by all means, sir. Just uh, real short, The I grew up way out in the country, and so didn't have a lot of access to different utilities. Most of the stuff came out of Rainbow, so BASIC was really the number one thing that I yeah. used back in the day. True, true. And being the only kid around that knew anything about computers, I ended up fairly early on um, basically writing code for small offices and stuff around. And so when I went to go do reports or whatever for school i would just type them in in basic and have them set up as a program that i could then attach to the printer and i tended to use the office printers at whatever company i was doing work for at the time <laughs> oh that's cool <laughs> to that do, do the reports and i stopped after a couple of tries because the schools the teachers would basically say no we're not taking this because you cheated and did it on a computer there was more work involved to do that. That's just how and back asswards people so, were back then. Yeah. So it was like, oh, all right. So there was no point in buying a word processor yeah. or a printer myself because the few times I tried you it, cheated. it was good. It was just, no, no, no. Yes. We need to 
need actual report. You can't have that, your computer do it. That was the calculators and chemistry. Yeah, class yeah right. Like the computer did it for yeah, the com you. The computer yeah. <laughs> thought up all the words and created the paragraphs and sentence structure it and everything did else. Did the formula and yeah. came up with the answer. I guess our, our teachers yeah. were more woke here or something because they actually encouraged us to do it on computer. Wow. Actually, maybe it's because of my handwriting because it's. Uh, they probably couldn't read my reports normally. I, they encouraged me to use the printer so could they read it. Yes, Nick Morota. Nick Morota. Um, Nick Morota. I'll keep this really short. I'll keep this really short. This is okay, maybe, a little bit off, maybe a little <laughs> bit off the path, but, but for me, uh, OS 9 Level 2, uh, the manual was for that was so good, and I learned so many computer concepts that were used even to this day, like multi-time slicing and memory management and all that sort of thing. I, I thought that was... Uh, really valuable in terms of uh, cool. in computer science. Very cool. I, I do have one. Level two, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah James Diffendaffer and then Mark Overholzer. Yeah, James. I do have one other program that I used, and that was the VIP Speller, and it's a bit of a horror story. <laughs> I was spell checking a term paper for a class that was like half the grade. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. And the power went out in the dorms and it erased my disk. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I used spell and fix too for that myself. But yeah, I, I did use spelling checkers. I took the F and uh, took academic probation and retook the class and got an A. <laughs> wow. My goodness. I remember Dale Lair talking about that was one of the products he had worked on was a uh, spell checker. Um, Nate, yeah, Mark Overholzer. I was just going to say, I didn't use the Cocoa back in the day, unfortunately, but I did have computer stuff. So I won't bore you with a lot of names of programs you've never heard before. Uh, but the word processor I did use was made by uh, Quark, who made a, Quark. a, a product later. Quark, who made yeah. desktop publishing software. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Quark Express. Quark Express and stuff, yeah. Exactly. Now, before that, they made a product for the Apple II line. It's a really good word processor. But anyway, okay. um, but I used it for, I mean, I used it for uh, pr doing schoolwork stuff with my, my dad ran a company, did roofing instruction. So he used it with a spreadsheet. He bought a printer, got a nice star SG 10. And so, yeah, we used it for business stuff as well as a few games. Also I had an assembler too for it that I paid for. So, you know, I bought stuff, used stuff. Neat, 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 neat. Uh, Nicholas Marentes, I don't know what we heard from you. Did you use any serious tools or utilities back in the day? Um, the only thing I ever used was the uh, Intasm. Okay. Uh, starting starting with the uh, the old Rompack uh, Edtasm uh, from Tandy, and then moved to the I uh, can't remember what it was called, but there was a patch, the super patched uh, Edtasm in Rainbow. I switched to that, and then I switched to another patched Edtasm, uh, Ultra Ultra Edtasm or something. Yeah, because the first patch was Roger Schrag, and who did the second? Roger Schrag's was the super patched one, and there was uh, one H. by a Curtis Randall. or something. I think did the. I remember uh, which It was a Randall something, if oh, I okay. recall, who did the ultra patched one, and then of course I switched to the uh, Robert Galt one, the uh, Edtasm um, six three nine one. Yeah, six three nine one. And basically, that was the main thing I ever used, and I'm still using it today. No, you never used uh, word processors or anything like that back in school days? I had VIP writer, but like Steve, I never used to type anything up on it. <laughs> I had it there just in case I was going to use it one day, but I never did. So, yeah. 
You guys must have good handwriting then, because I mean, my handwriting sucked actually. since I was born. No, so. my handwriting wasn't great, but I just it never occurred to me to. T- and matter of fact, I not only did it not occur to me, I don't think it was ever brought up in class. So it wasn't even like a concept that appeared in my consciousness that oh, you could if you wanted to. Other than maybe if they said type it on a typewriter, that might have been an option. And I guess maybe some people did hand in typed in book reports or reports or papers, but I never typed that I'm aware of. And um, in my case, in elementary school, grades one to eight, I, I my my handwriting sucked all my life still does yeah. like it's it's i've had doctors say you know you what i can't even read this if it was, <laughs> if it was prescription. and literally they have said that my writing is worse than theirs uh, which well, is why i don't an, do it so my teachers older. once they got like i used to be a fairly straight a student in my elementary school days and my one subject where i'd get c's and d's every time was handwriting so they once i handed my very first one and i think i borrowed somebody else's dot matrix process before i got my cgp so this one in the early 80s and once they saw that they actually could see something that I wrote and actually read it, because I think some of the reasons I got you know, worse marks on some other reports and stuff is because they literally couldn't read it. Couldn't read it. So after I did that the first time, they encouraged me from there on in. Yeah. Every teacher encouraged me to start handing it in, huh. print it out. So I've uh, recently realized I typed so many things on a Cocoa keyboard that the problem I have with a standard keyboard is that. Because <laughs> yeah. now that I'm back to my Coco again, I can type much faster on that keyboard than I can with the caps lock next to the A. And yeah, ooh, yeah, true. All these, the, the quote is supposed to be over the two. Yeah, shift two. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It is, you are ruined uh, for modern keyboards. Retro Innovation exactly says right. if we're ready to bash Commodore printing, uh, he'll see if he can join. So <laughs> why don't we um, – well, let's take another quick break. And uh, Jim Brain, if you want to join us, please do. But then I do want to get into updates and acquisitions. We're going on now uh, – how long have we been doing this train wreck? We're going on two hours, 45 minutes. So yeah, do want to start – to... okay, James, thanks for being here. Um, Later, guys. Happy Later, 4th James. of July. Happy birthday, America. Bye. Happy birthday, Tom C. Take care, James. All right, we're going to run a commercial break, and then we're going to come back with updates and acquisitions. What do we want to run here? What commercial? We've done shortwave. Let's see. I'm going to do this one for you, Nick. You like this one, Nick Morota. We'll return after these messages. My fellow Americans, Australians, Canadians, Europeans, and all of you ands, I'm calling on all y'all to help us make the world great again by visiting the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com where you can get yourself a coffee mug like this with a little cute cartoon character that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could also get yourself a coffee mug like this with a color computer 3 that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could get yourself a, a deluxe travel mug like this with the Cocoa Talk logo on it. You might even be able to get yourself a DVD like this with over two hours of gameplay goodness. It is time for us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying some quality retro merchandise and Cocoa nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. Good morning Cocoa Lamb. This is Brian Schubring with Music Man here at the Coco Fest, having fun fixing issues and making things roll and making lots of sound. Have a great day, guys. Baby, there's something I need to talk to you about. Remember when we first met? Everything was so easy and it felt like nothing could stop us. But now, everything is such 
a struggle. And <laughs> if I'm being honest, you're really starting to show your age. Can I get the check, please? Break up with 512K. Use two megabytes now with Nitros 9 Ease of Use Edition. Download EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. plans after school. You know what Elliot's gonna do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately. Only at Radio Shack. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. I remember the days of grade school when on the playground we would talk about the latest computer and console games. Until one day when a kid told the teacher he was having a blast with his new math tutor. After he got out of the hospital, he changed schools. Greetings, YouTubers. Atari Leaf here, and you're listening to Coco Talk. All right, and we're back. Let's remember the reason why we're all here today. We're not celebrating the Coco. We're celebrating the birthday of Tom C. from Jersey. Greatest thing to ever happen to the United States of America was when Tom C. dropped on this country. Happy birthday, Tommy. Shouldn't we be talking about how he impacted our lives? Uh, let yeah, let's uh, let's let's. We'll, we'll, that'll be another discussion. Is how is how has Tom C improved our lives and, and improved the world and in commerce and education? Um, well, I said impacted. You're assuming improved. Oh. <laughs> and we've just been joined by Retro Innovations. Uh, Retro uh, might want to be able to tell us a little bit about something about some things about some things. Hey, welcome, Jim. Hey. <clears throat> Sorry, I just thought you guys would like this nice anecdote. I, I heard a bunch of folks talking about printing and how folks um, were, uh, it was too nice and whatnot. And so it reminded me a story. So back in the day, um, I know a lot of folks had a first printer and the big thing at the time was, you know, to get a printer at all was a big deal. And the first printers were like seven pin printers, if I remember correctly, yeah. at least they were in the, <clears throat> the environment that I was. And they didn't have proper descenders. And so it, it just looked kind of hokey when you're printing uh, term papers or whatnot. <clears throat> and so I think, I don't know if everybody else did, but I, everybody who was not, uh, you know, had seven print printers, um, their big thing was to graduate to an eight pin printer because then you'd have true descenders. I don't know if anyone remembers that being the big thing at the time. Oh, but, yeah. So, I mean, that was like you'd really made it. And, of course, 24 printers were just like Nirvana. But but 8-pin printers were quality. really cool. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> yeah. And so 8-pin eight, eight printer was near letter quality, which was pretty awesome. Um, so, obviously, I used a competitive computer back in the day. So, um, But uh, one of the things that we were trying to do was get an 8-pin printer. And all the 8-pin printers um, were really expensive. And so Commodore came out with a printer called the 1526. All their printers were 15 something, 15, 15, 15, 25 and so forth. Um, and so it was an eight pin printer and, I, and, and the price was relatively attractive. And so as um, soon as I could save up enough money, 
I purchased that printer. There were other competitive offerings like the Sakoshas and and some things like that that I ultimately would have been a better better choice for the story I'm going to tell you. But anyway, I got a 1526 printer, and then shortly thereafter um, started using programs that did uh, fonts as opposed to just courier, right? And um, uh, well, this is okay because I have a graphics printer. I have an eight-pin graphics printer, so all is good. Well, that's when I found out that um, I don't know if it was for cost reasons or because that printer was never designed to be a graphics printer. Um, but the 1526 and its uh, and its um, companion, the MPS 802. Don't ask me why. I have no idea why they were labeled under two different names. But anyway, it was it had uh, no graphics capability but it did have a single redefinable character. So you could redefine one character in the character set on the printer, and that was your graphics capability. Um, uh. And yeah, I know. And so, <clears throat> but then somebody else found out that that could be redefined. It, it couldn't be redefined. Uh, it could only be defined once per line, but if you did a character turn without a line feed, you could redefine the character again. And so some some masochist wrote a graphics oh print gosh. driver for this uh, printer <clears throat> that would essentially print a the redefinable graphics character with eight pixels of of uh, of graphics goodness on the on the printer or on paper, and then it would do a character turn with line feed, a tab over one space, redefine the character again, print it again, character turn without line feed, tab over two spaces, print it again, and do that eighty times per line. <clears throat> So if you can imagine printing out a, and I had, and I, as I think James had indicated about almost, you know, losing or, or, or definitely losing a, a paper or whatnot, I printed out an entire, uh, or um, did an entire term paper before I found this out. And it was only in this graphical font format. And so I started my 10 page paper printing at um, seven o'clock uh, in the evening and it finished printing <clears throat> the 10 pages at 6.30 in the morning, the next morning. And I had to stay up the entire night to make sure it didn't mess up or I'd have to restart it. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so if you ever have a chance to buy one of those printers and you're a masochist, feel free to do so. Otherwise, stay far away oh, from any God. printer like that. Oh, so, dear God. I forgot yeah, about terrible. the 7 and 8-bit thing because I remember like the DMP100, the first of the cheap Radio Shack ones, was one of the 7-bits where the descenders were all popped up so everything looked like crap. Yeah. That's right. They did. They did. So... Um, so that was, that was a, for a, you know, 16 year old with not a ton of disposable cash. That was a very, very hard lesson. <laughs> wow. So there you go. Thank you. For those Commodore masochists, I totally recommend like a star Gemini 10 with the card code plus G interface, which really rocks. Or one of the good, you know, decent Epsons back then, the FX80. Yeah, FX80 and MX80. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there were, there were a ton of good options and I chose none of them. <laughs> wow. I graduated in 73. There were no computers in high school. We, we had a uh, IBM Selectric in a room at high school that was hooked up to, you know, some uh, computer somewhere else. And it was basically terminal was the paper coming out of it. Wow. And we, we played hangman on it. That was, <laughs> that was it. My very high quality advice was to take a worn out ribbon and print the same page three times. And it comes out pretty good. Oh, wow. Yeah, it'd be slightly off so it wouldn't quite fit perfectly. So you'd kind of fill they, in the they, dots. They print, yeah, it kind of fuzzies it and makes it sharper by. It's so like a 24 pin, pin printer, but in three passes to get all 24 pins. 
But you have to use a worn out ribbon or there's too much ink on the paper. Yeah, and it's smeared. I, I did. I tried that too. I actually remember that. <laughs> that almost sounds like drinking more beer to make somebody look better. Uh. <laughs> that works too. So, um, it's what uh, you got is what you got. All right. Well, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show today. We're going to talk about project updates and acquisitions. That sounded like not a lot of people had a, not a lot to report this week, but that's okay. We'll keep it short. Uh, Alan Murphy, were you raising your hand, sir? Yeah, I've got a couple real quick ones if you need. Uh, by all means. I'm going to go ahead and spotlight you for a second, just so we got you. OS 9 Level 2. Ooh, Volume oh, yeah. 1, A Beginner's Guide to Windows. That's a Actually, rare one. Actually, have some docs now. Nice. Oh, wait. Curtis is writing a bunch of docs, too. But uh, kind of the real cool one for this week, courtesy of Mr. Dave 6809. The color, 16K. Well, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Color Computer Space Adventures. Wow, that looks really cool. I like the cover. I like the cover of that. I think that's the one that Jim Gary's program is based out of, that Lunar Lander thing we showed. Space Attack. Wow, look at the artwork in this thing is stellar. And that was a series of books they did, didn't they? They had Space Games. Red Alert. Games and... Wow. This is really good. This is a glossy magazine. Looking. This is like the UK type books. Okay. Excessive artwork and very short programs. Moon shuttle. Okay. So this is this is the one that's kind of like that lander one, I think. Okay. So yeah, I now have some type in goodness that I can play with. That's neat. Yeah, and that was that. Very cool. I think Michael Furman said he had uh, a small update to do too. Did you not, Mikey? Yeah. Yeah, I have two updates. Uh, let's do the. Let's do the hardware update first. Uh, I'll grab this thing here. And I've already alluded to what it is. Let's see if I can see if I can show you guys. Uh, lift it up a little bit higher. Okay. Uh, drive. Something to do with drive. You got a drive edge connector. Grease Weasel the... PC Drive Rev 1, it says. Grease Weasel PC Drive Rev 1. Okay. Oh, no. Not the Grease Weasel. I have a Grease Weasel. You, is that what a grease Thanks weasel looks like? Add. Yeah, so uh, I have a um, uh, need my I have a, an adapter here for my cable, but the, it basically has a, a 34 pin connector here and power connector, and the other side is a uh, oh, am I muted? Your bandwidth nope. is low, it's saying, so your video just got small. You're showing up. All right, hang on a second. Yeah. Let me kill. Let me kill YouTube. Don't kill. Don't, don't kill difference. YouTube. We'll be off the air, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the the other the other side. This is a. I guess it's an imitation blue pill. So it's some uh, ST, STM32 chip or something. But uh, it basically plugs in the USB port here, and you run the software. You know, you connect up a floppy. To it. I have a floppy drive okay. here, and uh, I've been reading. You know, I have stack of discs. I've been reading them while the show's been going on. Okay. And uh, making making images of them. So this so, is uh, this is something that's not easy to do nowadays because our computers don't have floppy drives. So that's you, what this gadget getting, is cool are for. Are you getting the full amount of flux from each one of your floppies? I am getting all of the MFM goodness off oh. of every single disc. That is awesome. 
We will leave no flux unflucked. So, um, <laughs> yep. So I just got this yesterday and just started playing with it this morning. This is so ask you, is there is there any TTL in that by any chance? Uh, well, yes. Uh, it actually shows up <laughs> in your computer as a TTL no. DriveWire. Got FM, MFM, RST, RS232. Uh, very Good cool. Use of a Cocoa yep, so that's uh, that's update number one. I just started playing with that, and I'm finding out some uh, very interesting stuff on. You know, blank floppies have actually have some interesting things written on them, like past track eighty. It's a little, little interesting. Okay. Um. All right. So controversy. The... Even. Hmm? It sounds like salt. It sounds like controversy. What's written past track eighty? Find <laughs> out later. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the other update is uh, Pi Drivewire. Um, about uh, I guess a month and a half ago or so, a month ago somewhere around there. Um, Alan Murphy uh, gave me a feature request for PyDriveWire, and I had time to work on that this week. So uh, I haven't, uh, you know, this will be coming in the future release, but for those adventurous people, um, you can, I can provide a version to play around with it, but I have taught PyDriveWire how to do the deload protocol. Oh, so uh, deload and uh, deload m commands are in, um, I think extended color basic uh, 1.1 and 1.2, and uh, they they up you know you use the bitbanger port on the back of the machine, and uh, you, it can copy files at 300 baud or 1200 baud. So um, I just got the initial initial implementation of that um working uh yesterday yesterday i think and i shared it with uh with alan and apparently he was able to get it to work so um was this, the, let me ask you a question you was, was was this yeah. what they use in the classroom where you have all the cocos download the program at the same yeah, the time? network controller three and four stuff yeah yep that's uh don't know if anybody actually used it but that's that's yes, what it did. was for Yes, they did. I'd actually okay. seen it a few times. It uses twin lead cable, right? Not coax. No. Uh, you, I, you guys might be confusing things. Uh, they had the uh, ArcNet for the Model 2 and some of the other computers, but we're just talking about serial port here. 300 baud and 1200 baud serial port. Yeah, just out the bit banger that, and you type D load and you'd actually load the thing right off. Right. The, yeah. So I believe that the way that that worked is you had to have um, some kind of a server software running. And I believe Radio Shack sold a um, box, like kind of like the, um, what is it called? The Joey serial switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Except uh, I think it had like 20, you know, a dozen ports on it or something like that. 16, if I remember, yeah. 16, yeah. So uh, I vaguely remember seeing that in the catalog, in the Radio Shack catalog. So basically turn it to number, you know, everybody's got a serial cable plugged in the, into the into the back yeah. of this thing. And so they go, computer number one, type deload, you know. Oh, I see. And... I thought it was like everybody downloaded at the same time, like a simultaneous no, no, thing. No, no, no. It's, it's, serial, it's serial communications. Okay. It's not the, not I, I the think there was a version that did it because basically just it, basically everybody had to type deload at the same time. 
and you'd get all your systems, and then the host computer would just send the same file to all of them. They got the same. Like signals, a multiplexer, basically. where as yeah, just... it wasn't like anybody could individually load programs. You're right, but they I did really don't. Based based on the way that the protocol works, I don't think you can do that. Okay. Well, there's there's no protocol because basically everybody's getting the same stream whether they want it or not. So everybody types dload gets the exact same. Uh, dload requires a two way handshake in between the color yeah. computer and the server between on you the and other the end. So. Oh, uh, I see what you I mean. Don't, okay. So you can't actually do that with the deload protocol. You can do one at, one at a time, but multiple mm. won't work. Okay. Because so it actually okay. sends a request. So they must have different the server... software with the network controllers then for the Coco, because it, it they did do this simultaneous load, but yeah, maybe it wasn't deload. You right? I yeah. think some of the earlier ones used the cassette port that you could do a broadcast like that. That would. Oh, that maybe would that's definitely what I'm thinking. Yeah, I knew there was some that type of broadcast, but yeah. So this is not it. Okay. No. Okay. Okay. It's still cool though. It, so, um, one of the possible ways that uh, this can be used is um, if you act, if you want to bootstrap DriveWire, and you had and you did not have the ROM pack, like a an HDB DOS ROM pack, you could actually de use Dload to cop to uh, load HDB DOS bin file into your computer. Oh and wow! Then, and then you exec that because the the HDB DOS bin file actually copies itself into high memory and then and then executes. So then um, uh, I don't have this all completely completely working. Like right now, you would have to restart uh, PyDriveWire, but you could restart PyDriveWire in in DriveWire mode. So that way, you don't need to have the only piece of hardware. Two pieces of hardware you need to have are a DriveWire cable. And a um, like a USB serial adapter, and you know, and Pi Drive Wire. Wow. Yeah, because you would you would need a disk controller. You would need an SDC. You would not even need a cassette deck, right. or anything. You would just a straight right. bit banger out, and that's all you need. Just the cocoa and the bit banger. Yeah, and that was the idea behind the feature suggestion was, with the Dload client built into the firmware, all we needed was a, a server that was already popular and widely available that supported it, and then. There were a couple of people on the Coco Discord that were talking about, hey, I just got a Coco 2. How do I get yep. started with it? Yep. And it's like, well, you know, if we only could just type deload and get your DriveWire client copied over. And uh, so that that's where that came from. Neat. That's, that's a good idea, actually, because a lot of people that are just getting into the Coco now, they don't have cassette decks or the cassette cables. They don't have SDCs. They don't have drive controllers. All they got is a Coco on eBay. And that is all built into the ROM. So it's basically just as long as you've got yep. the drive wire cable, plug into your PC, away you go. Brilliant. There are brilliant. I've said this a million times. This is a fantastic <laughs> community. There's brilliant people in here. There's amazing people in here. It's incredible. Doing incredible things. Um, that really what you think, Stevie? That's exactly what I think. A, I've been you think it's a pile of crakey? No, I think it's really cool, <laughs> and I actually understand it, and I even stayed awake. So that's all good, Someone good thing. Wow, yeah. I did my job today. Amazing. <laughs> so you know, I'm going to be working on refining this feature, and but Alan pretty much said it. Uh, once I fixed fixed the file, I forgot to check in. He said it pretty much worked. So okay, cool. But there's still refinement to do. I'm also, are you changing Pi Driveware to actually be a deload host? Just if somebody wants to just use the deload command to load programs and directly run them, as opposed to loading a Driveware capable client. Uh, so um, the you have to you have to put a type of command into the server to switch it to deload mode. But uh, you just switch it to deload mode, and then it becomes a deload server. 
So PyDrive Wire now supports DriveWire, Deload, and MC protocols. Wow, cool. Very, very, very cool. Um, you're gonna have a Snapchat plugin for that and filters in the near future, by any chance? Snapchat. What do we Snapchat? Please. Need emoticons. Yeah, emoticons. Okay. No, that's cool. I know. Um, I know about uh, Nyan Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 2002. What was yes. that? Uh, who else? Yeah. Is, who else has got updates or acquisitions they would like to share with us at this time? When can I get internet on my Coco? Mm, the internet. You can do that through DriveWire right you can now. Do that now, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, I mean, I want to go on Facebook with my Coco. Oh my God! <laughs> you, have, you have a week to load a page. Yeah. Uh, you'd be better off doing Twitter on your Coco. Yeah. yeah. Who else? Well, updates, acquisitions. Yeah. Anyone? Show and tell time. Anyone? Anyone? Is that this is the? Uh, I've got a little I, I, project I, that I did. Okay. I got. Uh, what is this? Hold on. Uh, Ron Delvaux's holding up Castle Guard in a cartridge. Very I, nice. I, I got that in, in 1990. Oh, okay. So that's a recent acquisition. It's <laughs> a recent acquisition. Okay. Brian yeah. Schubring, where are you going? Are you spinning around? No, I just made a uh, XY uh, pivot for my camera. That's all I did. And I use an Arduino to control some RC servos. That's all I did. Okay. That's that cool. All? I thought maybe you got a new swivel chair in your uh, at your table or something. So, flight simulator chair no, that will actually no. flip you upside down and everything. <laughs> you're gonna need. Well, you say acquisition. You're not. You know. It's 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 kind of Coco related. Okay, it's a microcontroller, right? Which is what the sixty eight nine was, right? So, uh, very cool, very cool. Uh, anyone else? Anyone? Anyone? Project update, acquisition, show and tell, story to share. Anything, anything. Bueller, Bueller. All right. Well, then that, that leaves me. So I have a few things to to show. I wanted to give everyone else a chance because I'm very selfless that way. Um, oh, we're on so let's go over my my stack of goodies. First, not necessarily cocoa related, but I got this thanks to Allison Denou. Uh, a few weeks ago, I posted that I've been getting on eBay the three investigators books. She says, hey, I have one. Would you like it? And here it is. I got it in the mail. This is book two. And this one is actually in better condition than my original book two from my childhood. So it's a nicer quality. The colors are still good. It's not faded. So I got that. Thank you, Allison. Uh, Richard Lorby. Nice. First one ever read. Richard Lorbieski, he was on the show. I ordered his uh, new and improved Coco SDC. This is the Blackout Edition. I have the Black not Beauty, we're going to call yeah, it. Yeah, the Black Beauty. I have not opened yeah, it yet. Calls it. Hold on. Oh, my God. It's got that new SDC smell. Oh, my God. This is... <laughs> as long as it doesn't smell like Richard, oh, you're good. God, this is so good. Mmm. Right? So, as long as it doesn't smell Coco like Talk Richard. Coco does not recommend uh, sniffing your packages. All right. So, this is the Blackout Edition black Coco SDC. SDC. Nice. Look at that. Very sexy. It is very it's sexy. Like the first peel, man. Yeah. Where's the real time clock? Beauty to behold. It Joy is. for forever. And where I want to put this is inside this acrylic case here. This is the Tim Limner acrylic cocoa SDC case. Oh, cool. But nice. what I want to do is I want to find um, brass fittings like this and brass screws. So when I put it together, it's going to be nice. all black and gold inside uh, the clear nice. case. So I've got to take this. Now that I have this, I'm going to bring this to Home Depot and find the right size fittings and the right thread bears to 
to have this together. But I think this will look really sexy having, you know, basically the the um, black. Some brass and wood spaces there. You might get that site or uh, what do they call it? Cyberpunk or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like a steampunk look, right? Steampunk. That's what I was yeah. So yeah. just imagine this, right? So the black uh, SD board inside yep. this clear case is going to look very, very sexy, right? So that's kind of cool. Very cool, right? So little project. And I'm thinking I'm going to – I'm either going to make that one my main one and make my other one a dragon one or vice versa. But I want to have a dragon uh, SDC. So uh, uh, Neil Blanchard from the Coco Crew podcast recently uh, put out that he had cartridges for sale. And I bought both of them, and I have not looked at them yet either. But if you notice here, they're, they're in nice plastic. It's not shrink-wrapped, but it's a nice – uh, it's a nice plastic bag, right? So let's go ahead and look at the first one. This was Evan Wright's 3D Monster Mace. And these are a little different than the first round of cartridges that uh, John Linville had released on the Retro Tinker brand because those were in red boxes, right? This is like the Tandy reproduction box. Looks pretty cool, right? Looks like the original program pack cartridge. You've got the cartridge label on the side. We've got this. So yeah, the box reproduction is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Tim Linder. Is that the ones did Tim Linder did? Yeah. I, I have to I have to imagine. I can't think that there'll be too many sources for these, right? So I'm gonna go ahead and open it up. Don't, don't tear the wrapper. Right? And one of the things that you guys were talking about before was that he, that he showed pictures of different cards, right? So this one says 3D Monster Rays by Evan Wright. And when you turn it over, you so it's a two sided card. So oh, okay. That's I, so I could make it I could make either one of those work in here. And then I requested there was okay. There's a there's a little button in here. Okay, this one says. Oh neat. Nick Marota, smooth wow. smooth Canadian, right? Oh, so that's got Barney the dinosaur on there. That's very cool. Is, is that what that is? Yeah, it looks like Barney the dinosaur to me. Now this one came in choice of colors, <laughs> and I requested the clear color, which is kind of an opaque looking one, right? So you can kind of see here. It's got the label on it. And down here, you can see, actually, the cartridge is pretty small, right? So the other one is a smoky gray or something like that? Uh, well, this, this is the translucent one, right? So you can kind of see These are 3D it. printed. Right? These are 3D printed. Yeah. Right. And he said that in, uh, I, I asked him, I go, where do, I go, dude, where are you getting new cartridges from? And he's like, oh, I'm printing them myself. And they take like six or more hours to print. But he said he knew that I was a collector, so he printed mine on super fine settings. So, yeah, it's very smooth and everything, Ooh. you know, not a lot of texture on here. But this is cool, a, a semi-clear translucent cocoa cartridge, the first in the history of the color computer, right? That's cool, right? Yeah. Wow. I like that. Very nice. That's neat. All right. And, of course, now this is my second copy of Bomb Threat. I had the first copy that was in the red box. But now this is the new and improved one. And I think I asked for the yellow one on this one. So I want to see what that looks like. Is it only yellow? There were there was two colors. Oh, of color, colors. There's a color too. The dark oh, color, okay. like blue or something. Yeah, blue or something. Oh, like I that. thought that was Monster Maze. That there was multiple colors. Oh, it might have been. Yeah, it might have been one of them. All right. Yay, Neil. So, so this is the. Oh, look at this. And the yellow looks really good with this label, right? Yeah. Bomb yeah, threat. Brick Adams. Well, say caution, right? Warning, warning, yellow. All right. Bomb threat. What's got, the uh? What's the catalog number there? 84-2017, uh, so that's the two years. Okay. Like, the original game came out in 84. Yep. yep. Yeah, very cool, right? And so, once again, you can see that the uh, it's very smooth if you look at that plastic and even the, the yeah. seal joints here. So, Steve, after you get your SDC and one of those put in your um, MPI, you're going to sit there and stare at the machine for a while. Hmm. Why is that? Is all the colors? 
God, you got translucent yeah. SDC, and then you got the yellow pack, and oh yeah, so many colors. You won't even turn it on yet. Yeah, it's gonna be like a psychedelic, man. Gonna need um, a bigger multi pack. I need a big. Yeah, I'm gonna need a 16 oh, slot multi pack. Orchestra right. 90. Orchestra 90. So, so that's my update. I got a, got a couple of things, and it, luckily they all came in time for the show. But yeah, I mean these cartridges are looking really good. And I, at this point now, I have every new game that's ever been released on cartridge, you know, and sometimes multiple copies. So um, some of them are autographed. I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I've got some autographed copies of games on cartridges. Um, yeah, neat. So I'm looking forward to checking out Evan's new game. I bought his game last year at Cocoa Fest too, his Hunt the Wumpus, and I never even looked at it. So I have Evan's cartridge from last year, the Hunt the Wumpus game. So yeah, we got games on cartridges, folks. Uh, all right, so that was updates and acquisitions. Anyone have anything else they want to talk about, uh, talk about on the update side of anything? Anyone? 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 I'll probably have an announcement for updates next week, but not not this week. Okay. Well, then I think the last thing that we're going to talk about, and maybe we even save it. So we're going on three hours. So maybe we can, this can be a 15-minute discussion, probably. So our last, our last um, kind of panel discussion as we were thinking about things, because this kind of came up on Facebook this week as well, is uh, I believe the question was, if I'm paraphrasing, what do you prefer, real hardware or emulators? And go. <laughs> so. And that was also covering emulators from the hardware perspective? And from the software perspective, like the MAME and that type of thing, or Cocoa FPGA, FPGA. et cetera. So. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, now we have to preface this. This is this is people's opinions, and it doesn't matter what's right or wrong. I'm going to say, and I've said this a million times, I've said that uh, there's no wrong way to Cocoa. So however you want to Cocoa, you Cocoa the way you Cocoa. As long as you're Cocoaing, it's all good. Um, so Nick Marota, who said, if I may quote, I don't want to sound like a snob or anything, but I prefer real hardware. <laughs> and a venti latte, thank you. One and a half smooth. pumps. Yeah. One and smooth three quarters, Canadian. one and a half pumps. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... I, I mean, I tried to do the emulator at first, because I, I hung around you guys for quite a while before I got back into the into the hobby. Um, and, just wouldn't um, go away either. Oh, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> and I tried the emulator road, and it just... It just I mean, you know, I do emulators for other things like video game consoles and that, but mm -hmm. because I love the Coco so much, it just didn't capture it for me. So I had to, it wasn't until I got an actual Coco that I, I really felt like I was, and again, this is my opinion, Sure. but until I had an actual Coco, it didn't, it just didn't feel the same to me. Uh, there's just something about touching actual keys and pressing, you know, and having it running the actual CPU and it's just, it's just, yeah, yeah. For me but i mean if you have no choice you only have yeah i believe that was great. when you followed that thread i believe that was a resounding probably 99 percent. everybody says uh you know it's, it's like one you know it's like saying well listen would you prefer to have a million dollars in the bank or you know two hundred thousand dollars in debt what would you prefer well there's what you want and there's what you can realistically sometimes achieve too so i'm sure everybody would love to have the hardware but not everybody is able to for for a variety of reasons too yeah. Um, how about we start with this? Who who answered by saying I'm completely okay with emulators? Anybody here on the panel said emulator is my plan A? Anyone here? Anyone? Uh, that would be Alan Murphy. Alan Murphy yeah. said emulators are fine for me. I use emulators 
pretty much preferentially to keep the mileage down on the actual hardware. Okay. So, and plus I can do um, options with the emulators for hardware I don't have yet. Right. Or that is incredibly hard to get that I would like to develop. To. Sure. Yes. So I don't have a speech sound pack, but I've got an emulator that can at least let me see if my code has a chance of working on one. True. So Good point. I tend to boot the emulator first and then occasionally uh you know i got them with the hardware to just sit there but uh, yeah yeah you know at least once a day you have to actually crank up daggerath for real because it, it does have a the the real deal feel but yeah emulator's fine for me that's i i tend to do that first okay i i do a hybrid myself i mean i i like development wise i'll do some stuff in the emulators if it's, especially if it's a big project it's going to take you know five minutes to assemble on a real coco mm. um just because it's fast but on the other hand yeah i always test on the real hardware and if i'm doing smaller projects i'll just do it on the coco itself because if it takes five seconds it's going to take me longer not to you know run the sd card over than right i know mikey had his hand up but yeah. simon might want to have something to, to chime in on too because simon does a lot of development uh, you're muted simon if you want to unmute yourself um yeah i i do, I do a lot of dev on um on the PC and I test it on VCC and I test it on MAME and then I'll test it on real hardware. I'll get someone else to test it on real hardware because I I do have a Coco 3, don't get me wrong. I do have a Coco 3, but I don't want to burn it up, you know? True, 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 true. So, uh, okay, Mike. Yeah, I agree with, yeah, go ahead, Nick. I agree with Curtis that development is better on an actual yeah. on an emulator, but using is where I was speaking from. All right, okay, Mikey and then Rick Eulen. Go ahead, Mikey. Yep. I'm, I'm in the developer camp. I, you know, I have MAME on all my machines, and uh, I usually use that for development. And most of the testing, whatever I can do, like the whole, the whole deload thing, I tested with MAME. Um, but you know, I know I have a very small desk. I currently have two laptops on it, and there's no more space. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was, you know, I'm I'm starting to use the Cocoa Pie for a lot more. Because I can sort of hide that underneath the monitors on the desk. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, also yeah, I just take out the real hardware occasionally when I need to test something. So. Yeah, Rick Eulen. Yeah. So since the Coco is my toy, and I do have a little bit of spare hardware around, I prefer the live hardware. Not only that, but the products I'm designing are in that spirit. In other words, I'm not just dumping everything into a Arduino or something and getting it done. I'm trying to use small scale logic and yeah, kind of do things like it used to be done back in the old day. I don't know if it'll work out, but it's fun. So here I am. I, I think I know the question for Ron Delvo. Ron's not a real mm -hmm. hardware guy, right? Ron, you're mm -hmm. emulator all the way, right? No, I'm hardware <laughs> emulator and uh, Cocoa Pie. I use everything. Yeah. And you... uh, another thing, hi on an emulator, can you make the three amigos come up? Control Alt F1. You probably could. And uh, what is it? Control Alt Reset. Can, yeah. yeah, you can. They come up. Okay. I never tried it. Yeah, I just thought of it. Ah. And it's easier to patch the ROM if you want someone other than the three of you goes to come up. It's easier to patch the virtual ROM than the uh, physical ROM, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> but Ron's got a ton of hardware. So. Yeah, I just did it on VCC. Yeah. Uh, who else? Nick Nick Morenti's developer of fine products. Enjoyed the world <laughs> over. Uh, what's your response? Ah, um, 
Yeah, I use real hardware. Yeah. Pretty well exclusively. Very, very rarely do I use the emulators. Even for development, it's a retro hobby. Use, hey, even for development, you use hardware, which is unusual. Yeah, yeah, I pretty well do it all. Um, I go to an emulator if I just want to uh, say take a screenshot and show it maybe on Discord. Yeah, but other than that, yeah, other than that, it's a it's a retro hobby. It's not much of a retro hobby if you're not using retro hardware. So. Okay. What about Tom C., the birthday boy? What do you get to say about all this? Oh, I you know. I use uh, emulators for some stuff, but no, I'm I'm pro uh, real hardware whenever possible. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I, I Listen, I think a lot of us, when we started, we started on emulators and probably have similar journeys, uh, you know, since I've only been in the Cocoa Hobby like maybe five years now. I started on emulators just to, you know, play the games. Then I got the fever of buying hardware, and I, at one point in time, had more hardware than one person should have, one sane person. Um, I still have more hardware than I need. And don't get me wrong, I've got a Coco 3 right in front of me, and I got my Coco White Coco 1 five feet away with the Coco VGA in it. I like having the real hardware. I like that real experience. But I'm going to tell you, the more I've been using the Coco Pie, the, the, it's bringing a lot of quick um instant gratification into my life because i can boot up the machine of my choice pretty quickly this past week when we were playing gana buena i was playing it with the speech sound pack in mame and it took up no space and i could quickly fire it up in my living room or in my office and for me to do this on my real coco i'd have to go out to my garage get my um you know multi-pack get my cartridge and and take up you know four feet of desk space to do that so the fact I could do it all. Are you coughing? Or are you laughing back there, Alan Murphy? You're muted, but you're shaking in a way that I'm concerned for your I'm health. I'm laughing because Mr. Dave just put emulators don't catch fire. So where's the fun? In <laughs> <laughs> He's right. I'm sure he could put enough voltage in a pie to make it burst into flames. <laughs> so. I, I'm really starting to like the Cocoa Pie for for fun stuff, for quick and easy. Let me let me switch between Cocoa Two, Cocoa Three. Let me switch if I want to boot up. I don't have to I don't have to contaminate one of my SD cards with that god awful Nitrous Nine uh, operating system, but I could boot it up in uh, in my Mame on my Cocoa Pie if I really wanted to torture myself. I could do that, um, you know. So there's things you can do in a Cocoa Pie. I'm and and the only my only complaint about the Cocoa Pie right now was not using a Cocoa joystick. And there are ways around that, right? So you can get the Cocoa joystick to USB adapter. So I am not poo-pooing hardware. I have hardware. I like hardware, but it takes up space. If I want to switch between Cocoa 1s and Cocoa 3s, I've got to swap machines around and do things. Um, you know, so it's not that it's a bad thing, but it's a thing. And so for me, the Cocoa Pie is becoming more and more of an empowering way to enjoy the Cocoa without all the swapping of space, uh, on my desk also limited space scenario but i yeah if i if i had to choose only one i would probably choose real hardware but i i like this hybrid Man. option that we can do and it doesn't mean i'm right and you guys are wrong it's just more personal preference right uh brian Schubring, what's your what's your preference on all this well, I grew up on the real thing. You didn't grow up on an emulator? You weren't running MAME back in 1980? Hell no. <laughs> I was on the real thing. Start with the Coco 2, the Coco 3, and then hacking everything apart. I actually still have my repacked Coco. It's kind of dead. I got to 
fix the motherboard on it, see what's going on with it. But uh, no, it's both have a place. Yeah. Yeah. And that and uh, emulators are great for when you're trying to do the uh, some of the creation of new software, especially if you have to compile it. And that it's a whole lot faster to run underneath uh, drive wire or something like that. And then bang, a second later, it's already compiled and uh, compared to 15 minutes. Right. But anyway, yeah, no, it's both have their place. Both have uh, good points and uh, you definitely don't want to let out the magic smoke. Absolutely. Yeah. Although you, you, you do have to test, even if you're doing development, though, you do have to test on real hardware. As we discovered with Grabber when it was the game on Challenge here, that program, if you have a 6 or 9 installed, will not run. It will crash until I patched it. Yeah. On on, on real hardware, Cocoa 1, 2, or 3 didn't matter, but it worked on every single emulator. So every single emulator has a bug compared to the real hardware on that particular case. And there's probably a few of those you know, hiding around the corner. Right, somewhere. right. And oh, absolutely, absolutely. There are things sometimes that an emulator can't do because it's not emulating good enough. There are some things an emulator will let happen that real hardware won't let happen and vice versa. You know, so it's good when you are, if you are developing a product, you kind of would like your product to work on the real hardware and the emulator. So a part of your development cycle and testing process should be probably to test it on everything on hardware. And, and because we have a plethora of emulators too, does it run well on VCC? Does it run well on XROR? Does it run well on MAME? Um, and of course, does it run on the real hardware, which is the most important part, right? So two thumbs up from Simon Jonasson back there. Um, and, and Alan Murphy. Very cool. Uh, t uh, Tom C, you said you like hardware, right? Yep. Yes, that is correct. Mark Bosley, your preference, sir? Are you still around or are you working on stuff? Still around, just trying to play uh, Tetris here. <laughs> getting a head start on the game of the I week. Getting a head start. What's with yeah. Yeah. So, well, uh, I only use hardware because that's all I know how to use. Ah. I haven't figured out, taking the time to try to figure out how to even install an emulator. Yeah. I hear you. Cool, cool. So, yeah, I think it's a resounding everybody would like to say, shoot, yeah, I'd love the, that real hardware. Um, what I will say, especially because we did a few weeks ago, we did a we did a show topic of back to Cocoa. If you're getting back into Cocoa, what do you need to know? Um, so let's say right now you're new to getting into the Cocoa. You'd love to have a Cocoa 3, but guess what? You can't find Cocoa 3s on eBay as often as you would like. You can't find Cocoa 3s at a reasonable price anymore. And then you have to hope that it works. And then once you get it, guess what? Well, you need a Coco SDC. You need a switcheroo cable. You need this. You need that. You're not that you need, but these are all the quality of life things you can add to it. So now you're looking at to get a Coco 3 with real hardware and multi-pack and SDC and this and that and the other. You're probably looking at a $1,000 investment to get your Coco 3 the way you really want it if you want to be a pimped out Mac Daddy Coco 3 operator in the 21st yep. century. And not that there's anything wrong with that. If you've got the money and you've got the time and you've got the space or... For about $100, you could set up the Cocoa Pie and you could run a Cocoa 3 with 512 or 2 megs and a 6309 and a multi-pack and you could run, you could boot into uh, YaDOS or RGB DOS or Nitrous 9, God forbid, or anything else. Um, and you could spend $100 and take up about, 
four square inches of space on your on your desk. So there are some compelling benefits to, to doing an emulator as well. Uh, cost saving and space savings, but it's not the same thing. Although we're now bridging that gap because Paul Fiscarelli has the Coco keyboard to USB adapter. So there are people who have taken a Coco case, putting the Raspberry Pi in the case and hooked up the real Coco keyboard. And now we have the Coco joystick to USB adapter. So you could actually have all the Coco hardware shell encasing a cocoa pie and that is a good hybrid i think right uh, uh curtis boyle has one you talked about it last week have you tried it out at all curtis yes i have and how do you <laughs> it like does it does work works good yeah right. i and wouldn't I, recommend the black beauty for whatever game was last week because okay that sucked, but and i think ron delvo's got one right ron delvo don't you have a cocoa pie in a cocoa case yeah so so th so that's kind of a hybrid you want the feel of hardware you want the look and the smell of the hardware and you could do that um, and run a cocoa pie. So again, there's no wrong way to cocoa, but I thought that was a cool. Hey, I had my cocoa pie up and running, and um, I was going to hit reset. And there is no reset. On <laughs> 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 that was funny. Yeah. Where's the reset key? Uh, there is none. Yeah. So uh, some of the things I like with the emulator that you can only do on an emulator is like a pause key, right? So you could, like, I have my Xbox controller's start button map to pause so if i want to pause any game regardless if that game was designed to be paused or not i can press the start button on my xbox controller and pause that game because i'm pausing the emulator so that's kind of cool you know um so there are some neat things that you can only do in an emulator that you could never do in real hardware um so very cool good discussion anybody else want to chime in on that any thoughts opinions stories Anyone? Anyone? Uh, Mark D. Overholzer, we haven't heard from you nope. at all, and, and thank God. But well, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm new to the Cocoa realm, so, but uh, I prefer real hardware. I mean, I before I got my Cocoa 3 that I got along with an Apple IIe Platinum, I had some other Apple hardware as well. So I like the real hardware. Um, but emulators are great, and, mm -hmm. you know, mentioning space. The other thing is portability. It's like every one of my laptops has... Um, Main on it. It has Vice for the Commodore. It has Apple emulators and yeah. VCC and XROAR. You know, right. so I can take those with me and I can right. put anything right. somewhere and just do something. But also, all my desktops do. Even my machine at work has it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like pull something up and do something. Yeah. 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 But you know, I, but you know, I have the Coco Three on the other side of the Apple IIe here. You know, and it's got you know Coco SDC and a and an MPI. Right, right. Well, I'll give you a good example, too, where I, where I would not, because I've never owned an Apple, right? I have the Apple IIc I got a year or so ago at Cocoa Fest. Yep. I'm looking forward to firing that up and playing at that. And you gave me a copy of the Oregon Trail and a couple of floppies, and, uh, and yep. um, uh, Mikey gave me the, exactly. the, um, the, the cable for the DriveWire or the software to run the DriveWire-type program. So I am looking forward yep. to experiencing uh, a, an Apple II experience on a real Apple II. So, yeah, there is something very cool about touching that keyboard and putting in that floppy and booting up. There's absolutely some cool things that you can't do anywhere else. And as I am um, putting my toes into the water that is the MC-10, I have zero interest of emulating an MC-10. Because the MC-10 is such a unique machine. Its size, its shape, the keyboard, for better or worse, it's, it is not the best keyboard to type on. But it's a really cool keyboard for bringing up graphics and stuff like that. And so as I'm starting to mess with the MC server and the MCX128 and all these things, 
I absolutely want to experience that on hardware because the fact that I can emulate MCX over MAME and, and run things on a virtual MC10 over a virtual MC is something's lost in there. But the fact that I have a serial cable plugged into my MC10 and I'm now loading Jim Gary software over a wire into the MC10 and, and putting it up on the screen, to me, all of those pieces together make for a very cool thing that, that I'm doing that is only cool because I'm doing it on real hardware. The fact that I could emulate all that, right? So um, there's definitely some something to be said about doing cool stuff with real hardware, right? So, uh, and I'm very fortunate. Uh, again, I've said this a million times. The MC10 is a fantastic machine. It's an amazing, it's an incredible machine. Um, I'm very lucky. I've got two MC10s because I was I bought them when I got when I knew I got good prices. So I got a real, I got my good one, and I got a backup. So. All right. I remember so how, when you used to talk about Nitrous Nine. That was <laughs> how many well, of you guys? The very first time I met Stevie, he's like, "Oh yeah, I love the MC10. It's the best yeah, it's fantastic. Ever. Yeah, it's like yeah. five years ago, you were saying that. Oh, <laughs> what about the what about the dragon? I have a dragon too. I'm looking forward, to, and again, but, I'm looking forward to running my real dragon. Yeah, go ahead, Ron. Yeah. Well, dragon is either popping the the um, game packs on the side, or it's. Uh, load in by cassette hmm. and that seems to be mostly the way that the game the machine was used right it had a disk drive matt well before yeah, we, but, before we continue you can that configure an, you can configure an sdc to use with the dragon yeah or the dragon there mmc is soft, there is there is software available to use with it right. but how, how the heck do you use the dos there's no instructions around well and the thing is in europe there as are, a rule, well, disk drives did not exist Everything was cassette or ROM pack. Yeah. Yeah, that's just the way it was. Yeah, the, the drive was too expensive. Support and blah blah. Yeah, I'm yep. I'm eventually gonna want to get the Dragon MMC, which is kind of like their Coco SDC, but it lets you load cassette files and stuff off an SD card. Since there seems to be a much larger library of CAS files than there are disk files, um, there are a number of disk files that already exist that you can run off the Coco SDC, um, and I'm I sure have, they could uh... be converted. I have they two words have for you guys. Thing. What's that, Michael Furman? Yeah. Well, that, the two words are ask Henry. Ask Henry. Henry Reitveld's done it, right? Henry Reitveld. Uh, I, I don't know if he plans to publish it or if it's only upon request, but I got like one point something gigabytes of disk images from him for my dragon. Okay. And you... it has all kinds of stuff on it. Like, some of the games that you demoed on Game On, um, was it like Jet Set Willy or something? I pl I actually played a couple of the games that I think you guys showed last week on okay. my Dragon okay. from the SDC. So the two words I have for you, if you want to put, if I mean, not for the instructions, for the instructions that I might be able to help you, um, but uh, he's he's got a ton of software in disk images already. Okay. So a lot of that heavy lifting's been done and getting the the casses converted was, to disk. Was there a multi-pack for the dragon? I don't know. No, uh, I I believe you could always use the um the Tandy one. The Tandy one. It's it's hardware compatible. Mm, I could so I and I couldn't hear did. Simon. Simon, you want to repeat that? I couldn't hear you. Yeah, uh, not offhand. There was no multi-pack for the dragon, but as um, Mikey Make said, key. you could use the um, Tandy. Uh, multi-pack for the dragon um another thing you might look into for the dragon is tour mods you know tour mod volden his uh moo 
Moon board. Yeah, it's his 512K MMU and everything else board. On yeah. A, on a cartridge. Yes. Yeah. And then the Dragon MMC is kind of like the Coco SDC, but it'll load disks and cast files and I think bins and stuff like that too, all straight you, from... You know what we forget sometimes? What's that? We forget the, the Dragon is not like the Coco 3. Right, it's, it's Coco 1 and 2. Coco 1 and 2. 1 and 2, yeah. It's the same as the Coco 1 and 2. The DOS, the basic, is different. The DOS is completely different. If anyone has any problems with figuring out the DOS and how to load shit and stuff like that, just give me a bill. There you go. Hit up Simon. Yeah. Actually, to be honest, their DOS was more advanced than ours. Yeah, it was. The cartridge, the DOS cartridge, actually used the FIRQ instead of NMI. Yeah, and it was actually sector-based, not granule-based, so you saved disk space. There was a ton of things about it. It supported 40-track drives, double-sided drives, you know, all kinds so of stuff we right had, out of the box. We had ADOS do that, though. Yeah. Yeah, but that was it. You had to pay extra to get that. The Dragon DOS you got from Dragon actually did all that right off the good. Get yeah, but there's more years that we've had ADOS free than the those that you had to buy it. <laughs> well, the Dragon DOS came with the desk <laughs> controller, wasn't it? Yeah, it came out in eighty two, eighty three. Yeah. So that's before ADOS one. Right, because the Dragon DOS wasn't made by Microsoft, right? So that's the main difference, right? So that's why it was probably better. But it is quite incompatible. So, like like Ron said, like I I had the same problem the first time I tried to run the Dragon emulator. I'm trying, you know, trying to so type it's in not. Do you still type in dir to list out your directory or? Yeah. Uh, nope. I don't think. No. Is, is, is yeah. dir one of the ones that work? But there's a few I, commands I that are similar. But basically, no, they're quite okay. different. And, and where do you find them? There's there's got to be a manual on the archive for Dragon DOS. Hmm. Yeah. Are, for Dragon DOS, yes, there is. Yeah. And then there's some documentation for the extensions as well. Right, and then and then there's the whole Dragon group on Facebook. I'm sure you can always ping those guys. Um, also, a Dragon group. Um, it's a a, a um, oh I can't remember the name of it, but I will post a link somewhere where you can find out anything you need to know about a dragon. Is it the you world, the the world, world of dragon, dragon archive? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they have a forum there that you can get a lot of questions answered. Yeah. To. The world Terry of dragon. Steggy just. Just got a uh, a drive controller for his dragon stuff. Yeah, yeah. The documentation's got to be out there. So even though we don't know what the commands are, I'm sure they're easy enough to find. Um, so I was able to find it and figure it out. Yeah. All right. I think something more, even more important needs to be discussed right now. So let's switch over to something really important here. Let's talk about uh, Nick Marota, the smooth Canadian. Everybody, that is this <laughs> week's uh, retro uh, <laughs> photograph here. So just remember, this Canadian has a oh reputation for smoothness. So you won't catch him drinking anything less than the smoothest whiskey around. So Windsor, sponsor. Windsor, <laughs> a whiskey with glacier-fed spring water and aged in the clear, clean air of the Canadian Rockies, Nick Marota, smooth Canadian. Yes, please drink responsibly. So back oh, to our boy. regularly scheduled discussion uh, at this time. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, Will, the shenanigans Never ever stop. That was very funny. Thank it you. was. So you have a lot of fans, Nick. Yes, um, so I think the overwhelming verdict is the majority of people seem to prefer real hardware. Real hardware is obviously very cool, and, and there's many good reasons for doing it. Uh, emulators, uh, don't feel ashamed. if you're only. You should not feel embarrassed or ashamed if you're an emulator user, and that's fine. Right? Yeah, I, I got a question. Yeah. So, so like back in the day, 1986, the Color Computer 3 comes out, and maybe a few months after that, you learned that you can upgrade the CPU. 
and then there's a multi-pack would you expend the same amount of money then as you would now for a top of the line Coco 3? Mm, I think I think we all ended up there gradually. I know I went from just the cassette to adding the card to adding the disc to adding the multi-pack to I I kept adding on over the years. So I ended up spending probably over $1000 on my Coco setup because you know it was four or five hundred dollars for the Coco, four or five hundred dollars for the floppy, you know, two hundred dollars for the multi pack, another hundred dollars for the speech sound card. So are we ahead these days? Or well, I think I think we can get more for less now, right? Yes, definitely. (laughs) We can get more hardware for okay. Yeah, like I I got a hard drive system back then was a thousand bucks at the beginning thing, and now you can get an SDC, which is a hard drive and a floppy for under a hundred. Yeah, you don't need as much stuff. I mean, I'm not gonna go ahead. Gonna say we are starting to get parity because the Coco Three is now three hundred dollars, which was about what it about what it released at. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah Coco Three is one exception. I have to yeah. say. Yeah. So the future may change. You never know. Yeah. Well, has... well if, you, if you say nineteen eighty three dollars or nineteen eighty six dollars. Well, wait a minute. We forgot about Ed Snyder. Man. That changes everything. Man. He'll probably have a Coco Four coming out that has the. Uh, Give me the X and all kinds of goodies on it. Oh, as long as it has a real-time clock. Uh, yes. So. <laughs> all right. Have, then Stevie will finally quit complaining about Nitrous 9. Oh, so. I've never. I've said it a million times. Nitrous 9 is a fantastic Here operating system. It's incredible. Multitasking. Just hit clear. Um, just don't force you to use it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really entering that data at the beginning that really sucks. Yeah, experience are we going to have, oh, have Nitrous 9 on the... Um, the Game On Challenge? Yeah. No, on MC10. The, on the MC10. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was fast. Yes. Actually, that does remind me. No. We get a lot of scores coming in in the game on challenge on emulators. So, like, don't if you don't have a Coco, you can still take part in the game on challenge. Like, we want, just want to get people playing. So don't feel like you know if you if you can emulate it for whatever yeah. reason. Can the MC10 emulate the Coco? Not oh. yet. Jim Geary's probably working on that. It's not a Coco project. I mean, it's basic pretty well. <laughs> I tell you, well, the, it's got, the, the MCX no. basic is very extended basic. It is very extended basic. Like, yeah. Now, the other yeah. thing, too, I love about the MC server is that typing in dir on an MC10 is just so cool because I'm listing out things that are not on that computer. They're coming over the wire. I just I get a kick out of that. The fact that I can list directories and load programs on my MC10 that never had a floppy drive is kind of cool. You know what I used to do is I used to type in basic, uh, a uh, disk extended color basic screen. <laughs> oh, and just like print it up, just have it print up on yeah. the screen. Yeah. yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Look. Like, yeah. When, 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 <laughs> yeah. Like when the Tron movie first came out, I, I'd always have my stuff replaced with master control program by Tandy copyright, whatever. Okay. Right. So I had stuff like that going on my <laughs> screens and stuff too. Yeah. Uh, Simon Jonasson, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you being here, sir. It's always good to see you. No worries. Thanks for your new demo. It looks looks pretty good. Demo, we showed off thing. your demo. We mentioned you were on the Coco Crew podcast. We've encouraged everybody to listen to your interview. We appreciate all that you do and all of your madness. Uh, Tom C., the birthday boy, is here. Tom C., we are Indeed. celebrating the birthday of Tom C. from Where Jersey. Where were you when you first met Tom C.? And we were going to talk about how Tom C. impacted our lives. So that'll be our parting thoughts. So, Nick Moroda, how did Tom C. impact your life? I will never, ever <laughs> hear the word nonsense again without thinking of Tom C. 
<laughs> that is his word. He has he claims ownership of that All right. in my heart. L. Curtis Boyle, how has Tom C. impacted your life? In so many ways, I can't even reflect <laughs> on I, I would be, would, this would be a six hour show if I did uh-huh. that. So. Brian Schubring. <laughs> Unmanageable. Unmanageable. Ron Delvo. That's Tom C. Okay. C. Tom C. <laughs> <laughs> I'm All sorry, done, Curtis. Sir. I cut you off. Were you getting ready to say something else? Nope. Okay. Mark Bosley, how has Tom C. impacted your life? He's got a heck of a basement. A uh, heck of a basement. That's right. <laughs> Tom C's Arcade. Nick Morentes, thank you for being here from Australia. How, how has Tom right. C impacted your life? Who's Tom C? <laughs> <laughs> Mark D. Overholzer. I know Tom C has uh, really been a mentor to you, spiritual advisor, financial advisor. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's right. Oh, that's right. I owe him some money stuff. <laughs> 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 Um, just learning about, I mean, you know, him working in the arcade industry and repairing stuff, you know, just, he has so much insight into not just the arcade games, but you know, what, 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 what it took to make them go and the, the unique things in them. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Our, listening to him fix a screen on discord and sometimes electrocute himself is always fun. Um, <laughs> Michael Furman, how's Tom C impacted your life? Um, it's gotta be for the better. Oh yeah. He's just a, he's a wealth of knowledge and encourages me to keep gaming and try to keep from age quitting. Okay, very good. Patrick Eulen, I know some of your circuit designs were inspired by Tom C. So what uh, what impact, what, what footprint, thumbprint has he left for you? Well, I know how to pronounce Joyzy. Joyzy. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Murphy. Oh, my goodness. Um, let's just say it's kind of a daily impact and the volume goes up and down because I can't seem to escape him on Discord. All right. <laughs> Vice versa. Mm-hmm. Not well, sure what. My, fav- uh, my, hey. my favorite Tom C. story was when we were at VCF Midwest. It was our wow. final night. We are at uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. We ordered some hot wings. Those wings were so hot, I couldn't even eat them, and Tom just chowed them down. So Tom is a guy who just will eat a wing no matter how hot it is. Uh, and there's something to be said about that. Tom, uh, did you keep him down? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Tommy C. Happy birthday to you, to everybody who's been watching. Actually, wait, we have one watching. other person to ask though about what's that? Uh, the who's that? Of Tom Who C. do we miss? Tom C. How have you influenced Tom C.? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we can go and yeah, I don't want to go into that now. <laughs> all right, all right, we're gonna press the button, Frank. We're gonna roll, we're gonna roll the outro and then we're gonna end the show. You're a good Thank friend, you, Tom C. It's a good man. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Cause Coco Talk is rocking the A-Bit World! Yeah! Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the A-Bit World! 
the clock is rocking the eight-bit world. Keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Cause Coco Talk is rocking the eight-bit world. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marentes, Rondell Vaux, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T.com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. With a name so nice, you must say it thrice. And every time I see Terry Steen in that outro, I must remind you all that no furniture was harmed during the making or production or streaming of this show. Coco Talk Live is responsible with all furniture at all times. Thank you guys for being here. Happy birthday, Tom C. from Jersey. Happy birthday, America. Not anywhere near as important as Tom C., but happy birthday to America nonetheless. And uh, July was also the 40th anniversary of the Coco, right? Isn't it July yep. 30th? 1980. End of July. End yeah, of July, so we're almost coming up on the 40th anniversary of the Coco. So we've got many things to celebrate in July. You know, the Independence, Tom C., the 40th anniversary of the Coco. July is a good month, right? Uh, all right, guys, I'm pressing the button. Say goodbye, everybody.